hey, I'm glad you're here. I've been really enjoying this season, and I hope you have as well. We've talked with Joe the janitor and Scotty the screenwriter. We just experienced unplanned alliteration. We were reunited with Sean Robert to talk Ryan Gosling's only Frankenstein movie to date. And now we'll champion 30 movies we discovered this year and some change. I say we, because I'm not doing it alone. Lindsay from the Schlock and Awe podcast, as well as Ryan from the New World Pictures podcast, are both returning. If you missed our Best of 2022 episode, please go back and check it out. We make references to it in this one. So both Ryan and Lindsay are two of my favorite people to talk movies with, and I consider myself really lucky to have crossed their paths through podcasting. And... I've enjoyed being on both their shows, so I hope you check that out as well. I'm extremely thankful they've been so gracious with their time to return here for this episode. Which made me think about something. It's an aspect of growing up in a video store that I don't think I've touched on in 11 seasons, that being regulars. Through my wife's business, we have friendly, familiar faces that we see weekly. You know, they go from being strangers to customers to acquaintances and sometimes friends. But long before that, I worked in an indie record shop, and I would anticipate people's needs even before they showed up. You know, you just kind of get a sense for people's taste. And I'd see them walk in the door, and I'd just set down neutral milk hotels in the airplane over the sea on vinyl and just watch them light up. But before that, I was just a kid in the aisles of my dad's video store, and I would see them, the same people, the bearded man who repeatedly rents Chuck Norris movies in Hamburger, the motion picture. Or the tank top guy. Look, when you're a kid, labels are simpler, right? So tank top guy, he loves uh, Kevin Costner and even rents Stacy's Nights. Eventually, as I got older, I would talk to a person here and there and even pull a tag so it wouldn't be on the shelf, knowing they'd have to come up and ask for it. And then I'd just casually set down Night Eyes too, you know, for those in need of Shannon Tweed. I just love making recommendations. So if you ever want one, just reach out. And I love receiving them as well. And that's why I love chatting with these two guests, because we can all appreciate the same films, but we also have varied interests, and I walk away with a longer watch list than I had before. So let's just get right into the conversation. This episode is Discoveries. The guests are Lindsay and Ryan, and this is VHS Presents Discoveries. That's not really the title. Welcome to VHS Presents Recent-ish Discoveries. For this special episode, we welcome back Lindsay Wilkins of Schlock and Awe Podcast. Welcome. Hello. And also, Ryan Goland of the New World Pictures Podcast. Thanks for returning. Thank you for having me, Dirk. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> Excellent witty banter up top. <laughs> this is what the people want. This is what the people exactly. want. Exactly. Exactly. Our witty banter, which is all Ryan and me just like going, hey. <laughs> Great stuff. Solid stuff. <laughs> For anyone that stumbled upon this episode that's never heard any of our podcasts, welcome. Lindsay, please tell us a little bit about Schlock and Awe. It is a double feature podcast where I just pair movies because I feel like it, so they don't really necessarily have to have a rhyme or reason. Sometimes it helps that I have a small reason, but it's not needed. So yeah, no, it's, it's a <laughs> thing I love doing, and I just like to see how movies fit together when you may not necessarily first think of them fitting together. Ryan, could you please tell people about New World Pictures Podcast? Yes, you bet. Well, you know, as the name implies, the New World Pictures Podcast covers all the movies released by the Canon Group. So we're having a great time talking 
No, we talk about New World Pictures movies. <laughs> I was going to say, and, wait, you just uh, wish you can anyway? <laughs> yeah, no, no. There's several podcasts for that, and they're all great. So, uh, no, we're going to stick with New World Pictures. We're talking about all the movies uh, released by New World Pictures and try to talk to some of the people behind the scenes who worked on the movies as well. We talk about some of the movies that were nearly New World, and we do rankings episodes uh, as well. A couple other bonus series stuff, but generally we try to keep it to talking about New World Pictures from the era of Corman into the 90s when they were just doing TV. So it's been a lot of fun. It's a family affair. We have a great time and uh, we got some really cool stuff lined up for this year. So I hope if anyone's listening to this podcast or listens to Schlock and Awe, I hope that you will then add us as a third alternate to listen to. You should because New World is awesome and so is VHS. Ah, thank you. Just saying. Feelings (laughs) mutual. All right, so the rules for this episode are simply, there's not rules. We don't have Mm. quantifying years, not like this has to, movies before 60s or anything. No genre restrictions, no length requirements. We're each just bringing 10 movies to the table that we watched slash discovered since the beginning of 2022. And that's only because this is an offcut from our top 10 movies of 2022, because initially, Lindsay and I had done top 10s of 2021 plus five discoveries. Then we brought in the wonderful Ryan, and I somehow forgot to tell him we weren't doing discovery so now it's its own episode and we're doing 10 so that you know because if we combined it all it would be like a film feast length podcast and i i can't pay for that kind of editing uh shout out to matt bledsoe you're wonderful and you're returning this season anyway so um i hope you appreciate that shout out now Lindsay, how was the process for you coming up with this list Well, it was sort of more when we said we're going to do it. I sort of already had like a vague rank list of movies from 2022, but then I'd realized I'd watch a whole bunch of stuff since then. So it was sort of more of a case of just sort of going through and just doing a whole big list and then just figuring out the top 10 from from there. Because otherwise this would be a five-hour shock and awe episode, which me and Ryan have pretty much done, I think, nearly close to five hours once. I like to ramble. I like to ramble. Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) Good rambling. But I don't want to, you know, up the cost of editing is more than it already is. So I think I'm happy with my 10, but I'm just got the 10 there. So if I see any other movie, it's going to throw it out of whack. (laughs) Excellent. Ryan, how was it for you? Yeah, I had come up with five before I found out that we didn't have to. And then <laughs> and then I think I kept most of those five. And I just tried to look back over the whole year and the totality of it. When I realized we had to come in with 10, I really started to think about what has been my trends. So mm-hmm. I started thinking about that because I think I've also seen like a lot of movies over the past year, but a lot of them have been fine. So I think I was struggling for a while trying to think, I got to come in with just like complete awesome films. And I'm like, no, that's not <laughs> exactly what it is. No. So I think I definitely overthought it for a while, which is typically part of my process. Same. I did the <laughs> and, same thing. And then I just thought, no, it's just about like things I've been watching and I've been watching certain kinds of movies and these are discoveries. And yeah. so I, I feel good about this, these 10. I definitely know I already got some movies in my to watch stacks and uh, I'm, I'm I'm going to probably, I'm going to be, I'm excited for next year already. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard for me because there's like part of the discovery for me is hunting down things that then become episodes of the podcast. So it's like, I I had a list of a bunch of that stuff. And then I was like, well, I don't want to just throw this all out there because it's, you know, who knows, could be a year or two years down the line that I do an episode on it. And then it was like stuff that I'd already talked about because I saw it within the year, things that came up on the, you know, the top tens. And so I was like kind of moving stuff around because some of it just has to be there and other things I was like, well, I'll push this off so that I can mention this obscure thing because we can do a little 
ramble off a couple things at the end sure. just to give those sure. shout outs so we're not laying awake at night going why didn't i say that movie <laughs> but yeah which so, i did do with the top 10 a lot yeah. <laughs> like there was about five movies i'm like oh maybe i should have put that in the movie in there oh that could have been number yeah. 10 yeah yeah it's... Yeah, so I try not to think about it too much, but there are certain movies I'm like, oh, but do, should I use this as, to recommend things or should I just go with movies that I've seen? Because there's a couple of my, in this discoveries, it's going to be like a, really, you hadn't seen that before? I'd be like, no, this was my first time and I enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So <laughs> No shame, it? no shame no, here, Lindsay. Not at all. Yep. No shame. So we'll see how this goes. But yeah, I was sort of, when coming to think about Dirk Stockton, I'm like, so how many of them are going to have Godfrey Ho in them? Because I know you went on an absolute massive tear last year. I did. Yeah, I closed closed out the bracket. I don't know if I'm better or far, far worse for that, but I did it. And we'll see if he makes an appearance on this list. We will be keeping our previous order that we had from our top 10 of 2022. So it'll go Lindsay, then Ryan, then myself. Uh, okay. So with that, Lindsay, what is the number 10 for yourself? This is before I was trying to choose movies that I hadn't necessarily talked about or things that I didn't watch specifically for the podcast. And one movie that I finally got around to of a director that I've been meaning to find his Hong Kong movies for quite a while. And that is A Better Tomorrow from 1986 from the maestro John Woo. Oh, nice. Yeah, this movie's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of what it is. It's awesome, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Have you seen A Better Tomorrow 2 as well? Or Yes, yes. That was straight afterward. And okay. that finale is insane. But I think I loved A Better Tomorrow just because the whole mm -hmm. spectacle of that first movie. And Chow Yun-Fat just walks in that movie like he owns it and just doesn't let it go. And he's not even the lead. Like, I didn't realize that. I'm like, oh, wait, he's the supporting actor in this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's some actors that like, in any role, you just see them and you go, now you're the star. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, I, I have an episode that will have come out by now on the movie Frankenstein and Me. And it has Ryan Gosling in it, a young Ryan Gosling. And the second you see him, you're just like, oh, that's the lead. <laughs> like, he's yes. trying to be like the little buddy, but your eyes can't leave this person. They just have a yeah. star presence. And it's like, yeah, it, Chow Yun-Fat in like The Seventh Curse. I mean, in anything, he pops mm -hmm. up and you just yeah. go, that's the star. I don't yeah. know who this other guy is, but that's mm -hmm. the star over there. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. in Seventh Curse, where he's only in maybe about 30, not even 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But as soon as he rocks up in a polo shirt and a pipe, I'm just like, yeah, he's, he's the star him. of the movie. That's I don't know the, what to tell you. That is, is a better tomorrow, which you should all watch. But so I finally watched a better tomorrow. And yeah, I was just like, ah, yes, this is why John Woo was one of the great directors. It's because he makes stuff like this. <laughs> Ryan, yeah. did you see this back in the day or... I did. I owned this back in the day on VHS ripped uh, VHS <laughs> VHS copies, um, which I that's how I got a hold of any of the Hong Kong stuff I watched when I was younger. But yeah, I had Better Tomorrow, Better Tomorrow Two, and Heroic Trio, and Our Blood, yeah. and I saw all yeah. those back in the day. Just getting you know getting ripped off by people yeah. just making a copy of their you know whatever import VHS and and uh, and me gleefully spending all the money I had going hooray. How much do you think you paid for it? Oh, I definitely paid ten bucks each at oh, least, and which is I paid twenty five for some movies back then. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to know how much I paid for my bootlegs DVDs of these movies because there was about four or five of them, and yeah, it's it was rough. Oh, 
It's like they saw me coming and they're like, take the price tag off and just charge him anything. He's going <laughs> to yeah. pay it. You got to see the stuff. Yep. Yeah. You just got to see it. I would have seen a lot more, but I got cheap and didn't only <laughs> buy. I only bought so much. I got a little lesser price, so I got more. Funny enough, though, I did almost put uh, um, Seven Curse on my list because I did finally get to see that. And I felt uh. like the same as you. I was like, I finally got to see Seventh Curse. Uh, everyone's seen it but me but i finally did <laughs> see it and i fucking loved it it's, it's so good it's amazing and i love it but it's not on my yeah. list but i did love it yeah well what is on your list why don't you tell us your number 10 i will number 10 i picked this one because remember how we all got together and we talked about sin yeah yes <laughs> yes yeah and so I believe I mentioned on your podcast, Lindsay, that I was like, what about other Dutch filmmakers? What else is going on in Holland? I found one. I mean, I don't know if this is the absolute best that's come out of the country, but I picked a, a movie called Molly from 2017. This is directed by two people, Thijs Muweis and Kalinda Bongers. It's about a girl living alone in a post-apocalyptic world. There's a little bit of like Turbo Kid ishness to it but it's a little bit more self-serious and she's sort of being hunted down by these marauders who have this fighting pit that they want to put people into and that's sort of like the entertainment that they have and molly is a little bit special she has some kind of powers or she's been experimented on there's something that we get hints of but we don't know a ton about and she's certainly not in serious control of any of these things so we see a lot of her to sort of like living and figuring things out and trying to find food and doing this and that. And then she comes across this little girl and she has to take care of this little girl because she loses her parents. And also some of the marauders in the fighting pit, they're fighting this world's version of zombies. There's some sort of like, you know, there's a lot of messages about global warming and then this, you know, um, disease that you know hit people and all that stuff. The last half hour is just like a constant fight. It feels <laughs> like it just... The main girl is played by Julia Batalon, and she is just awesome in this part. And I think I found her, you just, again, we were talking about movie stars. I just saw her and I was like, this girl is like carrying me through some of the moments that maybe I was like, meh. But in general, I really liked it. I like the aesthetic. It's doing an apocalyptic movie on a dime, but I think doing it pretty successfully. Julia Batalon is really good and she just goes through it for the last half hour and i was like yeah i gotta throw this one on there people should see this movie some more people need to see it i'm so glad you brought it up because i looked at the poster the key art for it and i totally passed on it because i like turbo kid but i only need one turbo kid and so yeah. i saw the poster yeah. and i got those vibes and was like mm -hmm. uh no but everything you just said convinced me and i'm gonna watch that probably tonight it's not Turbo Kid, and Turbo Kid is terrific. Like, yeah, it's, one it's of my all-time favorites. Goofy. Yeah, but this isn't that. It doesn't have that kind of tone. This is yeah. definitely a much more serious tone. But I just really dug it. It's also in English. It's not even subtitled. That they shot oh, the whole wow. thing in English, so everybody's, despite their Dutch accents, they're speaking English, and even the little girl that she comes across. I just really dug what they did, and I I, I was hoping to watch it, but there is a prequel or a sequel prequel to this that just one of the directors did afterwards. Um, and I really want to see that one too. They're both on Tubi, just for anyone that is interested. Okay. Lindsay, I you was done... just looking for that right now because I know I hadn't heard of this. So I've been busy going, now where can I find this? This is my search of the current Dutch filmmaking community. Perfect. This is the start. This is the start. Excellent. It's good because all I have is, yeah, Sint, which is Dick Maas, so uh -huh, and uh -huh. Verhoeven. Right. 
But there's more. There's got to be more, there's, right? There is there's there's got to be more. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's got to be more. So there's gotta I'm kind of yeah. glad that there that you've got this because yeah, because those I was going to say with well, this dick mask and the guy who made scent. I went wait, dick mask did make scent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he did. It's he true. Did. <laughs> That's perfect. he he's sitting around in Amsterdam going, okay, we gotta find more dick mosses out there. Wait, exactly. I'm, I'm Dick Moss. It's me. Hey, hold on a minute. Hang on, I'm I'm Dick Moss. I can be Dick Moss. <laughs> now it's just becoming its own thing like Christmas. It's just Dick Moss. Oh. Anyway. That's the one day a year when you watch the lift. Mm-hmm. Well, mine number 10, and I did order these to the best of my ability. So this would be the one that's definitely not for everyone. But I'd heard of this thing and never watched it. And then I just came across it on YouTube. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the thing. And it's called Fatal Deviation from 1988. It stars Jimmy Bennett. He comes home after 10 years and there's an evil in his town. And his town is Ireland. This is Ireland's first martial arts film. Oh, um, wow. What? Yeah, Jimmy Bennett wrote it starred in it, shot it, produced it, ran second unit, which I don't know why they included that, because I'm like, if he's the second unit, he's also the first, he's just the cameraman. But but it's all Jimmy, it's all Irish, and it's martial arts. It is so weird, and it's all shot on video, so it's very, very, very low budget, but the fact that it's a martial arts movie in Ireland is such a bizarre flavor. It's so incredibly unique, and this guy clearly loves Jean-Claude Van Damme and it's 1998, you know, and he's like kind of built like him and he's, Mm. it's like an Irish person pretending to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's so bizarre. There's these robed monks that keep popping up and then he's like, who are you? And then the monks are like, well, the big question is who are you? And he's like, oh yeah, think about that. And then he fights (laughs) somebody and you're just like, what is this movie? It's so, so weird. Some people have described it as the worst film ever made, which I think is very harsh. Um, clearly, you haven't seen some some other things I own, but right. um, <laughs> I just all the Godfrey hoes. Yeah, I found it so fascinating and such like a you know these passion projects that people make, like you know Champagne and Bullets or one of these things. But it's it seems like its heart is in the right place, so it's like I don't. You, people could watch it and drink beer and make fun of it, but I feel like there's also something really endearing about it that, like, I mean, they did it. They completed the movie. They made this thing, and, like, people can watch it. So Fatal Deviation, if you're into uh, Ireland's martial arts epic films, there's only one. Um, so there you go. <laughs> there's only one. There's only one. This is the thing I thought I didn't need in my life, but now I kind of do. Because it is saying he's a huge, I was just reading the Wikipedia. Yes, he apparently was a huge Van Damme fan, also Steven Seagal. Apparently he worked with, ended up working with both. Oh, Good for him. Well, there you go. Wikipedia. This I mean, could be. Uh, maybe he wrote that too. Maybe he wrote that and just sort of said, "Hey, I work with these guys," when he didn't. But who knows? It's hard to say. I don't know. He's he's a tough dude, so I'm not going to challenge him to a fight. That brings us to number nine, Lindsay. What do you have in the number nine spot? Oh man, I know mine isn't. Well, it's not that classy. But uh, this year, early this beginning of this year, I went on a massive Clint Eastwood kick. I don't know why I just suddenly gotten in the Clint mood. So my number nine is going to be High Plains Drifter. This is from 1973. I'm not entirely sure if this is his first director effort, but it's definitely one of his earlier ones. I don't think Clint made a movie this strange ever again, though I need to see Pale Rider. I think it's Pale Rider. Essentially, this guy comes to town, this horrible, horrible little Western town where everyone is the worst. And 
proceeds to bully everyone in the town and he kind of takes Leone, uh, Sergio Leone's philosophy on who the actual guy, man with no name actually is, is kind of like a spectral force and kind of makes that like the literal text of the movie. It is really dark. I love how the fact that no one is likable in this movie and it's a Clint Eastwood movie. So he either sexually assaults or beds the two women that live in this town. He goes after them both. It's got, yeah, Mitchell Ryan's in this, um, Vera Bloom. Uh, It's just got a really great 70s cast. It feels like a really amazing midnight movie, which Clint, I don't think has ever done again. But yeah, Mm. no, I, I really loved this movie it is super dark and i wish there were more westerns like it so most it's almost it's closest to a horror movie i've seen clint eastwood make is this where he paints the town red and calls it hell yes okay <laughs> i saw these like the core clint eastwood movies all together when i was pretty young and yeah. haven't seen them since so they're all intertwined in my brain mm. but but mm. this one i think stood out the most for me back in the day ryan what's yeah. your feelings on high plains drifter I haven't seen it in a little bit, but I know I have the disc and it is, from what I recall, a little rough. He's a little rough in this one. Yeah. He's got a little like, instead of playing it cool like he did in Leone, he's a little bit like, I will burn ev- this whole <laughs> thing to the ground. Yeah. You know? And it's a little bit different. I looked it up. This is like, I think, his second movie. So he did play Misty for me. Oh, uh, yes. That. Yeah. So, yeah, this is before Outlaw Josie Wales and... I also watched some Clint Eastwood, but not as Westerns. I watched all the Dirty Harrys again. Yeah, I watched most of the yeah Dirty Harrys as well. With Which this. again <laughs> is like, you know, him and sort of fuck you mode, you know, yeah. as well. So <laughs> the 70s, he was definitely, he, he was he's out for He was working through some stuff. He was working yeah. through some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't definitely. He, isn't he in The Creature from the Black Lagoon? I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I thought he played like a scientist in like one scene or something, but I could be totally wrong. In the original, just as an actor? I thought so. No, no, I don't think he does. If he isn't it, he's definitely background or he might have done some suit work because he's definitely not one of the scientists. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I remember it from when I had mono when I was a kid, so it could have been a hallucination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan, what's your number nine? Oh, okay. Uh, number nine. So speaking of things that we kicks that you got into, I this past year was really, and I still am. So on occasion, I go through these phases. I want to watch this. So I watch a bunch of these and then I go, okay, I don't want to get sick of it. So I switch to something else. And one of them is Lady Cyborg movies. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I really like Lady Cyborg movies. This is one that I don't think gets a lot of attention and uh, and it just came out on Blu-ray, but it's still, I don't think people are talking about it. And I'm talking about Program to Kill. Oh, hell yeah. AKA Retaliator, which is a movie I had not seen. So we spoke to Alan Holzman, who directed it, or is ultimately the director of the film. And he worked on a lot of New World Pictures stuff. This is essentially a movie made by, he's the third, I believe, director to it. The screenwriter started directing things for a bit after the first director didn't work out. And he was tasked with taking these two different movies, writing and directing his own stuff, or directing his own stuff, what hadn't been shot, and basically editing and directing and putting 40 minutes together and then all this other stuff together. The fact that this works at all <laughs> yes, is yeah. insane. It does. It shouldn't. There's nothing about this movie, which is another reason why I wanted to mention it, because it's like, this shouldn't work. This is like, no. it, they handed him a mess and were like, will you do it? And by the way, we got to put your name on it as the sole director, even though you weren't. Because we don't want to make it look like a bunch of people had to work on this because it'll give it a bad name. And I don't think it really helped Alan's career, but it's pretty damn good. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Sandal Bergman and Robert Ginty 
Good old sad sack Robert Ginty. Yeah. Oh no, um, oh, I've got to see I've got to see this now. <laughs> so she who put that out? This is put out by Kino. Okay. So mm. actually, I don't know when this comes out, but they they have sales all the time and this is they have a sale currently, a spring sale, and it's on sale. Mm. And I'm mm. like, people, get it. Get this movie. It's a lot of fun. Sandal Bergman's like a, an assassin and then they take her and they like make her into a cyborg and then she gets her memories back because of course she does. You got it. <laughs> And she goes on, you know, a revenge kick. It's pretty much how every single Lady Cyborg movie is. And I don't care. I'm going to watch all of them. Same. It's another one of those things. I watch like Cyborg 2 and I watch, you know, Running Delilah. Nemesis. And, uh, what's, yeah. Nemesis. And, and so, I mean, two through four. Yeah, I, exactly. I still have yet to see four, but I've seen the other. Oh, it's fun. Nemesis. What about Lady Terminator? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that one's awesome. Yeah, okay. I love that one. I can't get enough of Lady Cyborg movies. And and so for my discoveries list of 2022, I'm going to say Program to Kill. Yes. Definitely check this one out. I love it. I love it so much. Lindsay, have you seen Program to Kill yet? You haven't, right? Uh, no, not yet. It's oh, now it's on, go, the list, it's going on the list. Uh, something's very similar is going to be coming up next. So it's just going to be a bit of a clinky yes. thing. But yeah. All right. Well, I'll get to my number nine is Beretta's Island from 1994, a.k.a. One Man Force. I mean, Beretta's Island, way more whimsical of a title. Uh-huh. This film stars Franco Columbu, a.k.a. Mr. Olympia. That's right. He was a close friend and training buddy of Arnold Schwarzenegger. In fact, Arnold yes. appears He's... in the beginning of this movie. Have you seen this? No, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing Dude. the art and there's Dude. Arnold on the cover. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God. It kicks off with him training the lead, who is also the same name. I think he also plays Franco in it. He said hey, Franco Beretta, though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. Because it's, right. it's, it's his island, apparently. It is. His, it's not, really. This movie, it's one of the things I came across. To, I was reading a book on action movies, and I was like, I haven't heard of this. This is very weird. It's 1994. You think Arnold being in it, everyone would know about it. They don't. It's directed by Michael Priest, who also did Thunder in Paradise, Walker, Texas Ranger episodes. The plot is he's an agent, and it doesn't matter, people. If you don't already want to see this movie called Beretta's yeah. Island that has Arnold Schwarzenegger's training buddy in it, and it's like, you know, <laughs> stilted dialogue. He's not an actor, but it all adds to the the gravitas of the overall picture. And Keep I just... selling me because I am sold yeah. already. Yeah, that sounds sold amazing. Five minutes ago, but <laughs> yeah. you are just selling me hard. And it's, it also has Dimitri Logothetis in it, who we oh, talked yes. to on the podcast. Yeah. He directed Pretty Smart for New World Pictures. And yeah. now he does the kickboxer movies. He produces and directs a lot of the kick, the rebooted sort of kickboxer mm -hmm. franchise. You know how in Commando, like the soundtrack kind of has its, like, its own energy to it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like... I don't know, It's there's like um, steel drum parts or like weird guitar sounds and things. That's how the soundtrack is for this. Like they're riding motorcycles and there's a guitar going, bow, bow, and I'm like, is this just in my bones? Why do I like this so much? I don't, because I know my wife would walk in the room and be like, what are you watching? This is oh. the worst thing I've seen you watch this week, which says I... a lot. And I'm telling you, Beretta's <laughs> Island is highly watchable. Both the films I've listed are, are in their completion on YouTube. So for free, you okay. can just find these things. I, I have to see this. That 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 looks amazing. Yeah, the training, yeah. just the opening part that Arnold agreed to do in one day, and they open the film with it. They don't even make you wait. They're just like, you're going to want this right away. So it's yeah, just like, yeah. okay. Yeah. We oh. said Arnold Schwarzenegger, so let's not have him yeah. not show up right. immediately. Yeah. <laughs> And I just realized I picked two movies so far. One, someone that wishes that they were Jean-Claude Van Damme, and one that 
is best friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is really weird for me. I feel but, a trend happening. <laughs> yeah, I, that is bizarre. Anyway, Lindsay, let's let's break this psychosis that I'm in right now. Uh, what's your number eight? <laughs> well, you already just mentioned it because I this movie took me completely by surprise, and it is quite well. Um, it's in the definitely similar thing to Ryan's last pick, but I'm going Lady Terminator. Yes! I was. Love I watched it because I was meant to do a uh, show and it hasn't quite happened yet or an some episode for someone else. So hopefully we'll get around to talking about a time in history when mm-hmm. snakes lived in women's vaginas. Yeah. And oh, God. Because it's an Indonesian movie and the fact that this kind of Terminator thing is passed on through a curse. I Actually, I still don't know quite what the rules are, but the whole scene in the bar- You don't need to. Quite, no. it's, yeah. not, it's not important. What do you drink? Milk is like <laughs> maybe one of the greatest line readings ever in a movie. Um, and it, I think I saw this on YouTube. Like, I, So I need to try and track down a fiscal copy because I need this yes. movie in my life. Um, Mondo Macabre put out an excellent Blu-ray. Of excellent. It. Yeah, I only, you have the DVD and I have the DVD. I, didn't, I, yeah. I don't know if the Blu-ray oh. is for sale. Oh, I you're right. Might, Sorry, yeah. it is a DVD. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. still yeah. worth it. Still worth it because this they, movie is so magical. worth it. It is. That is a great pick. I mean, obviously, as a guy who just said <laughs> watching all the Lady Cyborg movies, that one though is one of the absolute, hundred percent best and most enjoyable movie. If you watch that movie and you don't enjoy yourself, I don't know what's wrong with you. Same, you know. Yeah, you never have no heart. There's about six different movies happening in it, and all of them are incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I'm already excited about all over discoveries because a lot of these could be movies that people have seen image of or heard someone mention, but not really heard someone be excited about it. So why are they going to press play? So here we are all excited. So hopefully we'll get some her number eight fans. Yeah, God, I hope so. They better be. Yeah. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Number eight. So number eight is another a movie that I actually (laughs) I pre-ordered this one off Kino. And I was like, I don't know what I hadn't seen this one. I'd always seen it in the video store, but I had never watched it. So I checked it out and I'm talking about Steel Justice. Martin Cove. (laughs) Martin Cove is directed by Robert Boris, who who did Buy and Sell, which was released by New World Pictures on video. Uh, this is Martin Cove is a Vietnam vet who just can't get his life t- together in the real world. And he's a former cop. His buddy from the war is still a cop and he's killed by drug dealers. And so he has to get revenge. That's the the summary. But let me just sell anyone who has not seen this movie yet about what this film has, because it has everything. It has a rat with a grenade taped to its back. It has a snake called Three Step, which is Martin Cove's pet. An actress in it plays a teenager who is at least 25. Yeah. <laughs> she does the trick that Corman always said, where you just pull your hair into ponytails and people will think you're young. Peter Kwong from Big Trouble Little China is in it. He plays one of the bad guys. Bernie Casey's in it. And he makes the dumbest joke because he's a cop about donuts. It's so dumb. A music video happens at some point. Just, it happens. It just naturally occurs. And when it happened, I looked over at Erica and I was like, yeah, this happens in this movie. And she was just <laughs> like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's just, it just happens. A music video just starts to happen. Shannon Tweed shows up in the second half. Yeah. There's a constant will they, won't they with him and Sailor Ward. And also at the end of the credits, there's a song called Fire with Fire by Hot Pursuit, which is just caps off this almost perfect movie. I've seen this thing since I got it at least three times. Yes. And I have not stopped enjoying it. 
every single time i think i posted this on twitter when i first saw it and i was like i was had a couple drinks in me and i was like i don't know if it's the alcohol but like i think i love this and this may be the best movie i've ever seen and people were like you're drunk dude but i'm like no i do really legitimately love this movie every time i watch it i'm like i couldn't watch this enough and i can't like this enough it's just you have to be into that kind of movie it's obviously this is an 80s action film it's almost a low budget straight to video kind of thing but my lord, I love this movie. It is just terrific. Steel Justice. Yeah, Steel Justice is single-handedly responsible for me watching most of Martin Cove's filmography. Like you said, sometimes I get in a vibe for something and I'm like, I'm going to watch all the Olivier Gruner movies or whatever. Sure. And for some reason, I was like, Martin Cove. And I hit that and was like, well, it's all uphill from here. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> nope. This is like the peak of no. the mountain for me. <laughs> like this yeah. was incredible. And then the rest of it was people not knowing how to use him or just plugging mm-hmm. him into stuff. <laughs> yeah, you have to slog. There, through I, I should say too, for Martin Co fans, great. if you are one, there are a couple <laughs> scenes where he wears a shirt, but there are only a couple scenes. <laughs> the rest of it, you're like, whoo, thank God he is shirtless. We we can enjoy ourselves. Yeah, I don't know about the entire filmography. Obviously, he was also in Death Race 2000 for New World Pictures. Man, this is a tremendous uh, vehicle for Martin Cove. Oh, it's it's so much fun. I think I watched it for June Splitation like years ago. Oh, like good, I somehow good. found it and just randomly going, wait, is that the guy from Karate Kid? And then watched it and went, this is just delightful. The cast feels so overqualified for what they've been asked to do in it and it's just like the best times and yeah you're right he's constantly just shirtless. it's great the fact that he even was a cop is mentioned late in the game <laughs> but you're only yeah. like i'm sold he's walking around with a pet snake on his neck i don't care just do whatever you have to do martin cove i'm in yeah <laughs> so true my number eight is once in the desert this is from 2022 i heard about this movie like a year ago I wanted to see it so badly, but because we live in America, we don't get movies from Russia when they come out, and you just have to wait forever. And then if you're me, you find it on YouTube in its entirety, but no subtitles, and you put on headphones, and you watch a movie in Russian. That's what I did, and I loved it. It's a war film directed by Andrei Krovchuk. Tells about the sappers, who are basically, it's like Hurt Locker, the guys that go out and search for bombs in Syria. If you don't want to watch this movie, it's fine. But it's gorgeous, I will say, and you can just skip to the 16-minute mark and watch easily the best explosion I've ever seen in cinema. It is amazing. And I like if you have headphones on, which is how you should do it if you're on your computer, crank the sound. It is so satisfying. It is so incredible, the impacts that happen in this explosion. And it's, the cinematography is just gorgeous. The reason I wanted to include this in my discoveries, because it is a movie that came out like within this last year, is because this caused me to go check out his other films. So in 2016, he did a movie called The Viking. Also good. Also gorgeous. Also Russian. This is on YouTube, but it is in English dubbed, which I wish it wasn't, but still fantastic. He did a period piece before that. Not my thing. Gorgeous again. So I don't know. It's just sometimes it's so great to discover a director and be like, oh my gosh, they're just making these awesome moves far away from me on the planet, but like great stuff. So definitely check out uh, The Viking from 2016 and Once in the Desert. I've not seen it, but I was just skimming through the YouTube and it does look incredible. Oh, it's Mm. so gorgeous. Beautiful. 
you know, mm. there's a lot of drama. And then they would get to the war stuff. Clearly, I'm not made out to be a soldier. And so <laughs> these war sequences really get to me. I'm really like, it's tense. And I'm like, oh, God, don't get hurt. Ugh. You know, because if it was me, I'd be like, there's sand in my eye. And then, like, that would be basically I'd die. It's basically the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, Once in the Desert, it's really gorgeous. Wonderful acting. I wish I knew what they were talking about. But that also doesn't stop me from watching movies. As I said before, when I picked uh, Plan B on Daniel Epler's podcast, which is a, a German, not the American, but the German action film, which is gorgeous. And I keep watching it and I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> which brings us to number seven. Lindsay, what do you got for number seven? Number seven is a movie I've seen twice since I saw it. Oh, it might have been this year. I still don't know exactly what it's about, but it is The Boxer's Omen yes! from 1983, directed by, I'm going to butcher this poor man's name, Kyu Chin Hung. Still no idea what this movie is about. It got the short box two, which which is the reason why I am poor. And <laughs> this movie is gorgeous to look at. It's about a boxer in the beginning who goes through a nightmare, and that's all I know, but just the surreal atmosphere and the reds and the spiders and just all this really cool imagery of him going through almost, I guess, like a seven circles of hell, but I don't think that's quite it. Like, I I gotta watch this movie again. Like, it's a one, for some reason, I'm determined to figure out, like, friggin' Stalker. I'm like, no, you don't figure out Stalker. You just let that wash over you. Similar to (laughs) Fox's Omen, funnily enough. But no, this is an amazing movie. It is... It kind of gave me a lot of Suspiria vibes just because of the music and the and the use of color, which you throw those things at me. I'm in your movie and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous looking movie. I'd heard about it for years, so finally getting to see it was just like, yes. That's the best. Brian, what's your history with Boxer's Omen? I don't have a huge history with it. It is something I need to see, but it will be related to my next pick. So, oh. so okay, uh, I was very excited that you had that because I'm like, oh, this is working out so well. This is such so a kismet. You have seen it or haven't? Have not. Oh, perfect. So it might be a discovery for you later on this year. Oh, it is absolutely something that is already on my list to see because of my next pick. Absolutely. Mm. I love Boxer's Omen. It's funny. I love all these ways things are intersecting because this is a tape that I paid way too much money for back in the day. (laughs) There was a pirated movie. You couldn't see these things here. And I kept Mm -hmm. hearing about it. And I was like, I have to see this. So I bought Mm. it. And then I watched it. It wasn't a great copy it's kind of like how when i showed my wife the fog on blu-ray and she's like there's things in the fog it's like Mm. yeah that's how bad the copy of the film was we were watching like we watched (laughs) john carpenter's the fog and she just thought it was fog that's how (laughs) the vhs was i'm like no there's like pirates in there anyway yeah boxer's omen yeah excellent pick i love it and i have that shaw scope too and it's the reason i bought it I, I'm mm. excited about mm. the other films, but I bought it for Boxer's Omen. Let the record state. I'm still behind. I'm on box one. So I do have the first box. I'm waiting for the second one to dip a little bit in price so that I can get it. But I have the first one, and I also haven't watched everything in it yet. So yeah. still working my way through that. Yeah, so I'm still working. I just got greedy. I was just like... I'm, I am totally understand. I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. They're amazing. These sets are... Like I saw everyone get it and I was like, I have to get it. And it dipped to a point where I got it. And then I watched a movie and I was like, these look tremendous. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was like, I get it. I totally understand what everybody was freaking out about. And this, I'm going to get it. I just, it's not, I haven't done it yet. No, the restorations are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And because the more I watch Shaw Brothers, the more I'm just like, oh, there is actually this weird little, because I always think there used to be just this one thing, which I really like, but the more I'm watching the series, they went into some really weird areas. Um, if you really want to get into really weird, sure, definitely listen to Unsung Horrors. But 
yeah, those box sets are just so well done. It's yeah, they are pricey and they are completely indulgences for me, but I, I treasure them, even though I still need to see quite a few movies in the first set yet. <laughs> no, I, I get <laughs> I'm that. Getting I'm getting there. Yeah. yeah, I was drawn in by the horror that they do. The Shaw Brothers horror stuff is what I really like. That's my love. But yeah, because I grew up in the video store and we had like kung fu movies and things like I would watch those as well but my entrance is definitely like like hex and bewitched and things like that mm. but I can't wait anymore to know how these things are tied together so Ryan you've got mm. to tell us your number seven my number seven is also directed by Kuei Chihang it is called the iron dragon strikes back aka the gold connection and this is a movie he did outside of Shaw Brothers the blu-ray that I have is done by Gold Ninja which is yes. out of Canada I'm going to mention and, one of them too. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what they're doing. Same. They have such, such cool stuff. I highly recommend people check them out. They're definitely a mom pop operation, but a pop operation. <laughs> There's like one <laughs> dude who is like running the whole thing, uh, Justin DeClue, and he yeah. is great. And Shout I out. really love the stuff that they have. And this movie is like, I watched it. And I had it set up for a discoveries list when we did our best of 2022. Mm -hmm. And then I had it in there and I said, okay, let me watch this again, just to make sure that this is a movie that I want to throw in it. And I watched it again. I was like, oh yeah, no, absolutely. A hundred percent. This is like a movie they shot throughout Hong Kong, almost unpermitted outside of Shaw Brothers. The print they have is like nicely cleaned up, but it still has scratches. It looks like what they tried to do with Grindhouse, mm. but like it's real, <laughs> but it looks real. And uh, but it doesn't have like the color flashes or the the real changes. But mm. it's basically Bruce Lai. He plays like a martial arts teacher, uh, and and he and a bunch of his buddies go scuba diving and they find all this gold and it's Vietnamese gold. And they all like figure out what are we gonna do with this? We found this gold. Well, the gang who stole it stashed the gold, find them, and they start tracking them all down and start killing them all. And it's there's a fight on a bus that is just amazing and. The ending fight is like in an apartment. It's just lit by lamps on the floor. Like it is like grimy. It is like an epitome of an exploitation film, but it's martial arts film, but it's just such an exploitation film from the 70s. This came out, I think the late 70s, 1979. And I just absolutely adored this movie. I watched it again. I was like, yeah, I thought it was a classic when I saw it the first time. I should have listened to myself. This is such a fun film. The Iron Dragon Strikes Back. And seeing it and seeing this guy, I was like, okay, I started looking up Boxer's Omen, everything else. I was like, I got to just check out everything this guy has done. It is, I'm sure, not going to look as nice sure, as yeah, some yeah. of the stuff he did in the Shaw mm. Brothers because he doesn't have the financial backing. He doesn't have the same crews. This definitely feels like we're walking down the street. Let's film a, a scene and we got to do it in one take and then we got to get out of here because we're not supposed to do this. So it's got that kind of vibe to it. But Absolutely adored it. So check it out. It is on Tubi, I believe, but I would uh, grab the disc if you can. I'm going to pick that up for sure. I love what they're doing. I got the Jackie exploitation. Do you have that one too? I do. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's basically, it's a bunch of films. Then it's like, you know, people that were coming off of or somehow sometimes associated with Jackie Chan films. Mm -hmm. But the, it's worth it just for Justin's intros. His passionate feel for these movies and these intros is infectious and i actually watched them all first before even dipping into the films because i was like i like this dude i like what he's saying about this stuff and i'm gonna check this out so and that's not what i picked from them that we'll be talking about later but i wanted to give it a quick shout out 
this is actually not a Bruce Ploitation film, but it does have I was Bruce. Say. But it does have Bruce Lie in it, but it's yeah. not a, a Bruce Ploitation film. You'll really dig it, Dirk. I know it, but I think you both would really enjoy this movie. I think everybody would enjoy this movie. This is a real cool treasure that they just sort of unearthed. And uh I totally watching it again, I was like, yes, love I absolutely love this film. So Yeah, I've only seen Bruce Lie in a couple of Bruce Lee exploitation movies. So I am keen to have a check this out. Because as soon as I saw the act, I'm like, well, it's got to be a Bruce, Bruce Lee <laughs> exploitation. But no, or whatever the clones of Bruce Lee movie kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But this isn't that. Man, is it fun? You know? Mm. That's great. I'm picking that up for sure. My number seven is a film that I'm pretty sure Ryan's seen. It's a film called Alien Private Eye. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I sure have. Okay. okay. All right. That All was right. on my list, but something else will take its place. Okay, great. <laughs> from 1989, an alien from a faraway planet who works as a private investigator on Earth gets involved with a quest to retrieve a powerfully addictive drug that was sent to Earth on a black disc. It stars Nicholas Hill. Vinegar Syndrome put this out on a beautiful Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. It has a charming interview with the star Nicholas that I just yeah. thought was awesome i love it when they get these people back and it's 30 35 whatever years later and they're just like yeah it was a wild ride and i'd never been in a movie before and i went through some troubling times and now i'm here and it's just it's just great i i love what they're doing like what gold ninja is doing for these other different types of films you can feel the the care and passion and it's not just like i'm putting this out to make a buck you know it's just like Mm. change nothing or whatever and it's gorgeous and this movie for what people need to know, is it's like a film noir in the 80s where... <laughs> where okay, I see some faces. Um, where people are aliens, and the reason they're aliens is because they have pointy ears, so they need to have either bushy mm-hmm. hair or very large mm-hmm. hats. That's the main character, Lembro. Yeah. He's on Earth. He's a private detective. Yep. Which he just does to meet people, he says. <laughs> There's so many things I love about this movie. And I mean, genuinely love about this movie. There's a sequence where he's like, challenges the guy to a fight. And he's like, I've been waiting all night for this. And then he just gets kicked to the ground. (laughs) And it's like, I love every, oh. I love this movie. For my birthday, I had a bunch of friends over and I showed them this movie. And we watched this movie. And that's what I wanted to do. Tremendously. Yeah. We had an absolute blast with this movie. It is so much fun. Yeah. This is a blast of a movie. And to your point, there's also an interview on the disc with the director. And I think that's even what sold me more, too. Because after I first watched it, I knew my brother had seen it. So I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to talk about this movie. And then I watched the interview and the director's like he had worked in TV and done, I think, early edition. But he's so humble and he's so like, I made a movie and I'm so yes. excited people want to see it. And he's just so jazzed. Yep. And I'm like, well, I think I am falling in love with this movie just because you get to really see like somebody who's so passionate still about it. And like, he really wanted to make a good movie. I think it is a good movie, but it definitely has a lot of that stilted yeah, acting stilted you were talking acting. about. Mm. Well, it's all stuff that with a different editor or something, they could have cut things. I don't know. Sometimes these films like feel the time between lines and things that normally would be tightened up mm-hmm. to some degree or whatever. But it's mm. like someone's first time ever acting. Like he answered an ad in a newspaper and he's a lead in a movie. Like that's, incredible i mean we've both Mm. done stage and screen stuff and i'm so glad my first anything is not available to be seen anywhere (laughs) yeah let alone getting a vinegar syndrome (laughs) yeah Uh right 
deluxe Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> Dirk exploitation. And he makes that movie for oh, for sure. Great. Absolutely. Because he is absolutely the thing about making a kind of B movie like this that's super fun to watch or what many people will say is so bad it's good kind of movie. But I think what quality you really need is you need everybody honestly, yes. sincerely trying to make a mm-hmm. good movie. Mm-hmm. And they make very weird choices, but they are doing it because they truly believe this is the best thing that they could do. Yeah. That's really hard to find something that succeeds on every level. Like yeah. Alien Private Eye. It really, exactly. like the main guy is trying so hard to do a great job. Yeah. But to your point, he hadn't made a movie. He had done some martial arts stuff. The part where he walks in the room and turns on the stereo and just dances for a second and then yeah. turns the stereo off. I was like, is everyone seeing this? I was alone in a room, so I shouldn't have been talking, but I like love it so much. He dances I... in the opening title sequence. <laughs> yes, like he's yes. just dancing on the street. It's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's I I absolutely yeah, love yeah. this movie okay. so so much. Was it really it's... on your list? Absolutely 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Great. 100%. Yeah, I'll throw something else in there. But okay, yeah, great. no, it was number one on my list. That's how much <laughs> I love this movie. I It was like number one. I have a classic that I finally saw at number two. And number one was Alien Private Eye. That's how much I love this movie. I love like, it. Legit. It's silly and cheesy and all that. 100%. But it is such a joy to watch. I don't know. Again, another one of those things. If you can't enjoy watching this movie, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, my gosh. I've been eyeing this off on Vinegar Syndrome. So I think the next sale, I'm going to have to get this because it's always a little hard like yes um, yeah thing, but so it's, yeah it's like sometimes you get the voyage of the rock aliens and sometimes you get the silent madness or something so i am going to move <laughs> forward <laughs> which i own <laughs> that's the trick yes i do too yeah. <laughs> this is my second year of subscribing to them so mm-hmm. i get all of them and then it's my brother and i both do this so we both then are like telling the other but yeah it's one of those things where like oftentimes i think each month you're going to get the highlighted one you know the really great film that they're putting out blades <laughs> Honestly, love yes, yes. love yes. that one, love that one. Yes, Blades is a one. classic, <laughs> total classic, uh, instant. And you're gonna get like some curiosity you hadn't seen. And I feel like that was Alien Private Eye. It was that month. It was kind of like the oh, I don't know about that one. And it kind kind of got buried. I forget what else it got released with. Mm. And then there's a movie that like is gonna hit for you or will not. Pale Blood. <laughs> that's what. That's the one. Yeah, but you'll get like from oh, Beyond, which is classic. absolutely yeah. one of my. You know, I mean, oh, that amazing, is a, yeah, it's a stink. You know. And you're going to get Don't Open Till Christmas. <laughs> and you're going to get Mutant Hunt. I love Mutant Hunt. I loved it. I loved it. Oh, my God. That was almost on my list. I love yeah. Mutant Hunt. I love Mutant Hunt, too. I loved it. It's a mixed bag. So there's no doubt about that. And it's turned me into a guy that's like, how much is that disc I'm, that I've never seen? What is it, 30 bucks? Yeah, let's put that in the cart. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've become that little bit as well, just because I'm yeah. like... Yeah, because it could be don't open till Christmas or it could be don't panic. And then all of a sudden it's just like, mm-hmm. that wasn't. Mm. Yep. And yeah. you get in, you watch it and you're like, yeah, let's see this thing. And it does look great. And it's got cool special features, but you're like, Bleh. yeah, I put on Nightmare Sisters for my wife and I was like, this has been restored. And she really quickly was like, I can't, which is rare. Normally she'll just t- say like, I think this is the worst movie you've ever put on for me. But this one, she was like. There's no way we're going to get through all of this. I was like one of the first Vinegar Syndromes I bought and I heard it on a podcast and I was like, this sounds great. And I bought it instantly and got it. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, (laughs) yeah. Ah." That movie's rough. Yeah, It's not what I anticipated. And yet I'm like, well, when I did 
now that I think back to that podcast and what they were saying about it, mm. it's not that they were leading me astray. It's just mm. that what they were saying, I took a different way and I thought this movie was something different than what yeah. it is. Yeah. So. I know. I get charmed by that stuff too. There's aspects of that movie where I'm like, they clearly, have, that's like two boards they nailed together. This is not a room. That's a corner that they've painted. Uh, and that's charming. And my wife's like, that's not, this is no, nope. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I respect you. But Lindsay, what's your number six? Uh, my number six is another movie I should have seen beforehand, but I felt like this was impossible to see in Australia for a while. But then I was able to rent it and I fell in love with it. And that is Repo Man from Alex Cox, I think 1984. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's fantastic. I mean, yeah, you've sort of heard about it. It's this meandering plot. I love the fact that the aliens don't necessarily matter, but they do really matter to this movie. But I love the fact that there's a whole thing that they could have just made this movie without the alien or aliens or whatever's happening. But uh, Harry Dean Stanton is great. Emilio Estevez is fantastic. He's such a dumb shit in this movie when he's trying to ask his parents for money. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's hilarious. It's a classic. It is kind of captures this very specific LA punk scene, which I don't see many movies capture in that way. Um, the soundtrack's amazing. It's Rupert, man. It's a really good movie. <laughs> yep. Ryan? <laughs> uh, like... A hard agree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not surprised with you two, but yeah. (laughs) The thing going around Twitter right now is everybody's saying like four films that uh, like are important to your teen years. And I was like, I I don't have time to think about this, put this together, but absolutely. I would put Repo Man in that for myself. A couple years ago, bought the, I know, I think I'd had, I feel like I'd had the soundtrack and then I looked at my collection and I didn't. So I found and bought a copy that was way too much money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was like, I don't care. I love yeah. this movie. I have to have it. I now have the Criterion disc of it, which thank God they put it out on Criterion. It is an unbelievably terrific movie that I just, I love. I've watched all the rest of Alex Cox's movies, maybe the exception of a couple of his more newer ones. This is still my top. I think this is the top for me with him, but I, I do really like Alex Cox a whole lot. So hard agree. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the first movies I ever saw kids like really adopt as like their identity and their thing they were into movie wise, because like music, you get it, the kids wearing a Nirvana shirt or whatever. But this was the first where people be like, I like Repo Man. And you'd be like, "Mm hmm. Cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... yeah. One of those handshake movies for yeah. sure. And yeah. and just to make it clear, because I know you're just seeing this for the first time, and I think people that might watch this movie the first time might not realize, but that generic products that they have in that store that just say beer yeah. or whatever, yeah. that those were entirely real. There was an entire row in the supermarket that was devoted to these generic products. It's like what they do now when they'll have the supermarket will have their brand of these items that'll be less than the name brands. But there was an absolute generic aisle. I don't want people to see that and just think it's a cheeky production design (laughs) thing that they did. Like that was a legit thing. I thought it was a cheeky set design thing, actually. Totally real and absolutely tied to a punk aesthetic because that was the cheaper. You would buy that because it was something you could actually afford. Yeah. So punks didn't have any money, so you would have to go buy the cheap generic beer that just said beer on it. That's what I thought it was. I thought it was just like this copy of this generic thing, but they just put beer on it to make it that punk kind of thing of brands suck but yet they are a brand yeah that's Mm -hmm. what i thought it was i was reading too Mm -hmm. much into it it works perfectly for that movie and i love those parties i love how the punks because i think in movies punks tend to have a uniform and tend to look all the same but these guys don't so you do have the thing with the mohawks and all that kind of scene but emilio vestivez doesn't necessarily look like a punk punk Mm -mm. as you would see in usual Mm -mm. movies but 
he is that to a T and how chaotic this movie is. I think it's one of my favorite Harry Dean Stanton performances and that man has given yeah, some amazing great. performances. Always great. Mm-hmm. And this one, he is absolutely fantastic when they're having an argument in the car because they're after the specific Cadillac, which was getting a little bit lost in the plot. If they knew there was an alien in there or they just knew that this Cadillac was worth a lot of money. Yeah, it is just so well done. And it is such a vibe of a movie. And there's a reason why it's one of those secret handshake movies that certain people have. It's like, yeah, Rupert Man. Yeah, Rupert Man. I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm now kind of in the club where I understand why this movie is this movie and why, why it has that reputation because it's, it's fantastic. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to yes. have you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More people, if they haven't seen it, yeah, need to see it. Yes. Again, it could be one of those things where this might be a movie where I'm like, you haven't seen it? But of course, it's a 1984 movie. Yeah. You know, about a, a punk rock and aliens and, you know, uh, repossessing cars. That's not a movie everyone's going to race to. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you've seen it and you loved it. I'm really happy for that that pick. I'm so glad it uh, resonated with you because I just love this movie. And your your pick, Ryan, next is Repo Men, right? The Jude Law movie where they're repossessing Correct. Yeah, parts yeah, and exactly. Stuff. I wanted to keep it the same, <laughs> which yeah. I just I just discovered it this year. I mean, who knew? <laughs> but seriously, what's your number six? My number six is because I love Italian cinema. So I when I go through phases of watching like Eurocrime. And then I'll watch a bunch of those. And then I'll like, I got to watch other things. And then I'll watch a bunch of Giallo. And then I'll like, got to watch, and then I'll watch a bunch of Spaghetti Westerns. I go through a bunch of that. So I was hoping to have one from each one of those subgenres, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. But I will have a Eurocrime. So I did have one that I bought the soundtrack to this movie before I ever watched it. And I'm talking about the Heroin Busters from (gasps) 1977, which is Anthony Castellari, starring Fabio Testi and his very tight jeans and David Hemmings. The score is from Goblin. So it was record store day and I saw Goblin and I said, yes, please. And I don't regret it. It's a great soundtrack. Fabio Testi is a proto Jack Burton with his jeans tucked into his boots. And he plays an undercover cop that nobody knows is undercover except for David Hemmings, who is a drug trafficking Interpol agent. And they're tracking down drug dealers, obviously, as the name would imply. And like a lot of your crime movies, or actually not like all of them, but in this one, there's great action. And like most of them, a slightly convoluted storyline because it's always like, how does this all? I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Testy is going for it. He is sliding down escalators. He's smashing motorcycles together. And the ends is a plane chase, like a two planes chasing after one another. It's great. I should say that there are a couple different versions, and the only one I have seen is the 90-minute one, which is on this Blue Underground DVD that I picked up on a sale for like $4, and I'm so glad I did because it is super good. I watched it again for this just to make sure, and I was like, yes, this is a really, really good one, and I think it's one that's slightly underseen. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this one's underseen because I was going to maybe pick something from the Million Umberto Lenzi box set, but I was like, I feel like that's got a lot of people into it at this point i wanted to pick something that maybe people haven't seen so the heroin busters yeah i like this director a lot and i had i never watched this because i just saw the title and was like nah like it just did never jump out at me but i'm so excited to watch it now Lindsay, you've seen this one yeah i have seen this this is really fun and you're right fabio testi's jeans are so tight you just sort of wondering about the poor boy circulation throughout the Mm -hmm. movie absolutely yeah i watched it because i heard i had a goblin score and it was on YouTube. I do need to pick up that blue though. But yeah, it is just this really great fast pace. I think I'm getting a little muddled with the plot because I do tend to get them mixed up with a lot of other 
Euro uh, mm-hmm. Palazzi crime, mm-hmm. which I do mm-hmm. with Jalo as well. But yeah, I just remember the mood and just the fast pacedness and uh, uh, David Hemmings popping up, which is always a, a joy. In it. But what's his name? He also directed the original Glorious Bastards. Enzo G. Castellari, yeah. Castellari, mm-hmm. yeah. He's a really solid director. Very, yeah. Yeah, very good pick. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good one. Definitely the Euro crimes can get a little blurry. This one stands out. Fantastic. I think he also directed 2020 Texas Gladiators. Am I right? I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Because that was the first thing I ever saw from him. And then I watched a bunch of stuff. It's weird when, and maybe, I don't know if this has ever happened for you, but you've watched a bunch of movies, but you don't realize it's from the same person. Uh-huh. Totally. Oh, yeah. Because that's my next pick. <laughs> It's actually kind of a director in a way, but it's a way I'm going to get to shout out four different movies because I had Burst City. It's really good. It's by Sogo Ishii. And I didn't know because he used to go by a different name. So he also did Crazy Thunder Road, which I think is his first movie, and Punk Samurai, which you can see here. Oh, that one I know of. Yeah. And Electric Dragon 8000. So these are all films, not all of them, but definitely Electric Dragon, things I tracked down in the early 2000s because I loved Danabo Asano, and he was, you know, in movies like Party 7 and Ichi the Killer and things like that, and I was like, this dude's like the coolest actor I've ever seen, and so I saw some of these movies, and I wanted to do it this way so I could shout out it's third window films that's putting these mm. out now on blu-ray they're tracking these things down releasing them with awesome like supplemental stuff commentary by Tom Mess who's fantastic I just love these movies meant so much to me I just moved to Portland I found a an art museum slash shoe store that had a tiny rack of dvds and blu-rays <laughs> and that's where I was getting stuff from Japan uh, a lot of the copies I have, they aren't even in English on the outside of the cases, so I didn't even know what I was getting, but I was spending like, you know, 20 to 30 bucks for these things because they're imports. I had a couple friends, they all had jobs. I didn't have a job yet, and I would just like watch these movies, spend all my money on movies, which is not wise, but I was young, and I didn't think they'd ever be getting these like royal treatments, but Third Window is just doing an excellent job. And I can't believe that I I loved these movies and didn't know they were from the same director. So that is quite a discovery for me this year to be like, oh, because he used to go by a different name. Okay, mm. well, there you go. So that's my very weird number six pick. Just let me correct real quick. 2020 Texas Gladiators was Joe D'Amato. Oh. Ah. But you're right. Enzo G. Castellari did, he did all the, the Bronx movies. So he did oh, like okay. 1990, the Bronx Warriors and Escape from the Bronx and the New Barbarians. Yeah, New Barbarians is. Yeah, Warriors which I yeah. Yeah, okay, love yeah. those. Love those oh, movies. So good. Yeah, I yeah. love them. All right, great. Well, that brings us to Lindsay. No one cares, but me. But I just wanted to. Be, I just wanted no, to... someone would have well actually us saying like you know you know nothing about Italian cinema. I'm like yeah. yes, you're right. I know nothing about Italian cinema. I got a disc from Blue Underground with all three of those movies, and I watched hmm. 1990, The Bronx Warriors, and and Escape from the Bronx, which actually I, I think I love even more. Which I think I'm in the I'm in the minority on that one. And I didn't realize that it was the same guy who had directed the original Glorious Bastards. I didn't know that he, had, you know what I mean? They do every genre. That's a thing. I didn't realize he had done all these different kinds of movies. So it's, it's, it is kind of a thing where you're like, oh, these are movies I love. They're actually by the same guy. It's a mm. cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wild when, because normally I, I go by a, an actor or a director or that'll lead me in a certain direction. But it's like so weird when you're like, yeah, I've seen all these movies. And then you realize like, oh. Oh, that's this person. 
Mm. Oh, okay. And then you start to see this like through line of like, oh, this like high energy filmmaking, you know, lots of like motorcycles and all, you know, it's just you go, oh, oh yeah, this person has a signature and I didn't even know it because I saw it so fractured, you know. Out mm -hmm. of but yeah, that brings us to number five. Before that, we'll take a quick break. So we'll be right Now, I have a question for you. What would Vice Squad be without Wings Hauser? Or House 3 without Brian James? Would you watch Panther Squad without Sybil Danning? No. It would be boring. That's how we feel about food and Marshall's Hood Sauce. Wake up your meals with these small batch sauces created and bottled by a chef. These aren't made in a co-packing plant. They're thoughtfully sourced balanced creations with a focus on quality and flavor. The red chili lime, sweet and a little spicy, like Gage in Pet Cemetery or habanero carrot curry, which is more spicy and ethereal, like erotic ghost story. Marshall's Hot Sauce has something for everyone, including the mildest, which is a smoked habanero barbecue, kinda sweet, kinda smoky. It would be right at home on the range with Klaus Kinski in the Great Silence. You know what I'm saying. There's also a new line of seasonings with real ingredients dehydrated and combined into fantastic and easy ways to cook for yourself or your family. From the new herb pasta and marinara packets, right on down to the explosive volcano sparkle, which I'm sure Zed and Blue's Academy 3, you know the part where he hangs out in the tear gas training? What a cut up, I'm sure he'd, he'd want some sparkle. You'll find it all at marshallshotsauce.com. Enter VHUS podcast at checkout for 20% off. Plus, you might get a little something from me. So head on over, wake up your meals, not to mention Sarah's now teaching classes again, so you can learn hot sauces, pickling, all kinds of stuff. I'm hosting hot sauce tastings where you can hang out for an hour and just eat spicy stuff. But you'll find it all there, marshallshotsauce.com. And now, back to the show. And we're back. And Lindsay, what's your number five? Okay, my number five is the one that I actually just got really excited because I thought, oh, wait, I had the disc and realizing I actually have a few other discs from this thing. But um, I went on a massive Marx Brothers kick because I was doing an episode with cult movies for The Amazing Duck Soup, but I watched Horse Feathers for the first time. And Horse Feathers is absolutely awesome. It is the four Marx Brothers. They're trying to get on. It's about college football. So you have Harpo and Chico getting bribed onto the team. Groucho is the pr new president of the college doing everything wrong. And you have, is it Zippo? Who's the quiet one? Basically just there. But it has got some <laughs> of the best <laughs> jokes, especially with a password trying to get into a speakeasy. Yeah, it has just got some really, really funny moments. Um, Harpo just appears in a bath. They're just all kind of shenanigans. And then I love the Marx Brothers. And so, but they only made... I love their Paramount stuff, especially, even though Night of the Opera is got one of the funniest sequences ever to be put on film. I love it. This is probably second to Duck Soup, which is still my favorite. But yeah, Horse Feathers is hilarious. It's just them doing their um, shtick really well. They know the timing. Um, they know what's going to make everyone laugh. And they are just pros. Every time I watch them, it just gets funnier and funnier. And so every time I'm in a mood, I'll just put on a Marx Brothers movie just to make me happy. But um, yeah, Horse Feathers was one of them. And I would like more people to watch the Mouth Brothers because they're awesome. Hmm. That's a good point. Ryan, what's your history with horse feathers? I think I saw this in college in like a class. And I've seen some Marx Brothers stuff throughout my life. But we had some W.C. Fields movies when I was a kid on VHS. So I watched the I'm, I'm forgetting the titles, but I know I watched them endlessly because it was mm -hmm. one of like the five VHS tapes we had. 
So I certainly, <laughs> I think I ended up more in that style of humor than the sort of slapstick stuff. But I know that I've watched some more like shorts recently, some of their shorts over the years. Um, and I'm like, that. I got to like get into more of the Marx Brothers stuff because there's, I know there's more to it than I've even seen. I remember this being very good. Duck Soup too. Haven't seen that in forever. So like there's more of those like I got to check some of these out because this is really like one of the foundations of comedy still. I know I'll have a lot more appreciation for it now than I did back then. But yeah, I like the Marx Brothers. I didn't realize there was there's all these different areas where they were like shooting different eras, I should say. I knew there was different members that went in and out, but I didn't realize the amount of people that kind of went in and out of the Marx Brothers. It was a big family. Yeah. And they were a family. That's because I've read Harpo's memoir years ago and I did not realize how big the family was. So they were just constantly rotate in and out and they were so good that they could do each other's parts. So if one was on on Broadway, if one was sick, they're just like sub and zippo to do Groucho or something. So it was incredibly talented family. Yeah. And it's just kind of a trip to see them and see like one with the four of them when Mm. normally you think of them as a trio. Mm. But that's not the case. There were so many where they didn't, they had four of them. This has Zeppo and Chico. So it's got that rare sort of foursome. So anyway, I got to check it out. I got to check some of these out. I'm going to do exactly what you said. I'm going to watch some more Marx Brothers. Excellent. Perfect. I was a little kid that loved George Burns. So I, <laughs> me too. Yeah. yeah. I loved Jonathan Winters when I saw his stuff and I just went backwards. You know, I grew up adoring Carol Burnett. The Carol mm-hmm. Burnett show was huge. I still have just scenes from Tim Conway on that show just etched in my brain. I found there was a company that put out VHS tapes of black and white TV and movies and stuff. So early, like, like the Buster Keaton stuff. And then they had some Marx Brothers and some Three Stooges. I would ask for these tapes on my Christmas list, these tapes of black and white entertainment. And I would get them and I would pour over them and watch them. So I I haven't seen any of this stuff in so long that I, I really should revisit it. But I remember Duck Soup and Horse Feathers being like top notch Marx Brothers. I don't know if that's true amongst the Marx Brothers scholars, but I should really dig back in there and really sort of refine my memories of these things. Yeah, I like the four Paramount movies they did, which is, I think, Coconut, Duck Soup, Monkey Business, and Horse Feathers. They're mm. all pretty good. I sort of grew up in Looney Tunes, so all my sort of things of, like, every comedian of that era kind of got filtered through um, Looney Tunes. So when I was sort of watching it, it's like when you're watching The Shining, but you realize you watched The Shining for the first time. Cartoons was kind of my way into these things. That's a great point, because that, that... And it's a very similar humor. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, Peter Lorre, you saw him on Looney Tunes as a kid before you saw any Peter Lorre movies you just totally. knew the exactly. voice and the yeah. look and then you would see the movie and be like oh my gosh like this guy is awesome but mm. yeah uh, that's fantastic which brings us to your number five Ryan what do you got I'm gonna go back to what you uh were just talking about and talk about third window films with beyond the infant two minutes nice oh, I have sitting on my thing I still haven't seen it yet from 2020 this is like the most delightful 70 minutes you're ever going to spend. And it's just people in a cafe, they have a TV and the TV is them, but it's two minutes in the future. And to say anymore, it wouldn't yeah, be yeah, worth yeah, getting yeah. into, but like, that's what you need. And you cannot believe where the film goes when it's shot for nothing. Like this movie has no money. It's almost one location entirely. And it's stitched together to make it look like it's one shot. It's not, but it's kind of done that. And it's a delight. It is so great. I just watched it and I got it on a complete whim because I'd heard people talking about it, bought the disc, watched it. And one of those blind buys that you were like, oh, this really worked out great. 
So I really, really love this movie. I absolutely adore it. I think it's really, really excellent. And even if you aren't as wowed by it or as floored by it by me, it's 70 minutes of a delightful movie. It's also very funny. Everybody's acting really well. It's done by the guy who directs it. It was a part of a theater group. His name is uh, Junta Yamaguchi. And so he was in it. So a lot of them are all actors from the theater group. They're all really good. They're not overplaying things. It's it's a delight. It's a delight. If if anything, you'd be like, well, it's you know, 70 minutes of uh, something that was kind of fun. And that's not a terrible way to spend 70 minutes. No, no. <laughs> so, but I highly recommend it. I absolutely loved it. Beyond the Infinite, two minutes. There it is. Yeah, if you go to Third Window, just their website, it's unbelievable. They have a pre-order right now that I recommend everybody pick up, which is, like I said, it was it's the movie Party 7, and it's Sharkskin Man and Peach Hip Girl, and there's a third film from the same director. Just the artwork on it is amazing. I mean, I watched Sharkskin Man, Peach Hip Girl, and Party 7 so many times. I've had Party 7 on my list of movies to do for my podcast for 12 seasons and i just <laughs> haven't found the right person but it's you know it's got things i've said to my friends that no one else would understand because they haven't seen this movie but yeah it's third window i mean that's just another great example of like what they're putting out and it's just time and time again i go oh my gosh okay i'm not spending any more money on anything and then third window will be like hey look at this and i'm like damn it i already <laughs> own it and i'm gonna buy it okay fine <laughs> <laughs> that is a real problem i feel very seen right now me too right. i think i got my disc through arrow actually and now i'm gonna watch it tonight because i think someone said oh if you're like one cut of the dead you'll like be on the infinite two minutes and i'm like huh why i said oh yeah because it's just really cute in japanese and it's really short and it's done like a one shot kind of thing and i'm like oh interesting and then i just watched finally watched one cut of the dead and went well that was just like 80 minutes of just pure joy so that's something i'm probably going to end up watching tonight yeah and he's on the disc the director one cut of the dead shinichiro ueda yeah. he's on the disc like saying this movie's great so that's that's another reason why they're sort mm. of tied because of this movies and what they what they both have mm. and i also love one cut of the dead also a terrific film so yeah i think you'll enjoy it perfect my number 5 is kung fu wonder child so we're back to Gold Ninja Video. Yes! <laughs> oh, I don't have this one. This is an essential, I think, from Gold Ninja. I love this so much. Lindsay, what's your number four? Foo and stuff in it, but I didn't know that flavor existed. So this is uh, from 1986. The uh, synopsis is a clan leader's spirit essence is captured by an evil wizard, and it's up to the Kung Fu Wonder Child and her friends to save the day. It's a Taiwanese fantasy film. It's a comedy action. It has hopping vampires. I just absolutely love this thing all the comedy is so bizarre and creative effects you know where they don't really have any money the kung fu is super fun and who doesn't love dead children so kung fu wonder child from 1986 it is night of the iguana which is based on a tennessee williams play the great john houston 1964 it stars richard burton ava gardner deborah kerr I love Tennessee Williams movies. They are so bizarre, so out there, so weird, so outwardly sexual from one of decade that has this reputation of being squeaky clean. Richard Burton, completely drunk ex-clergyman, basically kidnaps a bus of women so he they, he doesn't get a bad review and get fired from his tour bus gig he's gotten in, in Mexico. It is just delightful. All I mean, it is a, such a beautiful script. It is completely insane. Ava Gardner's, I didn't think she had this kind of performance in her. It's totally recommend. If you think the 50s made one kind of movie, 
watch something that's penned by Tennessee Williams and you'll be very wrong and going, oh my God, how did they get away with any of this? Yeah. Ryan, any history with this one? Yeah. Again, one I haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, I love Tennessee Williams. I was in a group that we used to improvise Tennessee Williams plays. That was our comedy show. Oh, wow. And yeah, big fan of Tennessee Williams. So, but I haven't seen this one in a long time. I mean, John Houston, Tennessee Williams. I only remember it being great, but uh, it's been a while. But, you know, yeah, you, you can't go wrong with those two. I agree. I saw this back in the video store days and... I have no memory of it. I just remember being like, this is really good. I was in a very serious phase. Like I carried around like Eric Fromm's Anatomy of Human Destructiveness <laughs> and read it to people. You know, I didn't have a lot of- You gotta but... hear this, man. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like... <laughs> and then I read it and people are just like, we were trying to have a fun conversation. And I'm like, all right, well, everything's empty. Um, Sir, so... this is a Wendy's, you know, that, that joke. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Basically. Just wait, I'm almost done with the chapter. And then I put it back into my metal lunchbox that was covered in weird stickers. And yeah, it, that, that was the time for sure. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So... 90s Dirk was the best Dirk. Yeah, um, 90s totally. Dirk. Yeah. I, if only, if uh, only if we had crossed paths. God, I, if we would have been inseparable. And, uh, <laughs> and for better or worse, I would have read to you from the anatomy of human destructiveness. I saw this movie and I got it. I'm so glad when we do these conversations because it's like, now I, I, I'm going to rewatch that. And I probably wouldn't have pressed play because it was just in my memory bank of like, we've seen this, move on. Mm -hmm. We're only going mm -hmm. forward. But sometimes you got to go back and just rewatch something and go, this is great. It's not that serious. I mean, it does deal with big themes of sexuality and faith and loss of faith and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's about a 16-year-old who's really trying to sexually, constantly sexual assault Richard Burton. And you don't see that often in a movie. It's just a wild, fun, insane, dark movie that I kind of fell in love with. I was this little baby doll, which I did for an episode of Shock and Awe with the Carmelita Valdez McCoy. That movie's insane with what it's trying to deal with. And, and yes, yeah, so I just, it's one of my kicks. I went on a massive Tennessee Williams kick and just had the best time. That brings us to you, Ryan. What's your number four? I'm going to throw this one in. I wasn't, didn't think I was going to be able to, but I'm going to get to do a spaghetti Western. And this is Man, Pride and Vengeance from 1967, directed by Luigi Bizzoni. Luigi Bizzoni directed one of my absolute all-time favorite giallos called The Fifth Chord. And he is a very underrated director because he only directed about five, five or so movies. And then I realized I had gone on another podcast and talked about the fifth chord. And then I realized I have this disc. <laughs> and again, to your point, I didn't realize it was the same guy. Yeah, and it. so this is this movie starring Franco Nero. It is a adaptation of Carmen, which I also realized watching this. I don't think I've actually ever seen an adaptation of Carmen. <laughs> this is my first. I'm familiar with it as a work of art, but I don't think I've ever. It's To me, it's more like, well, that's an opera right? Mm. But no, there's lots of interpretations of it. And so this is one. And Franco Nero is so vulnerable in it. He's fawning, of course, over Carmen, who's played by Tina Amont, which is in her first uh, lead role. And she is magnificent in this movie. And I would recommend this because for anyone that li doesn't like spaghetti westerns, and I do, so like, I get it if all the criticisms that are levied at spaghetti westerns, I <laughs> Wait, understand. What, what are the criticisms? Well, that they're just kind of exactly. cheap, thrown together, that they don't have great stories. This is a great story. Not only that, Franco Nero started out with Luigi Bazzoni. This was actually shot uh, by Luigi's brother, Carlo, who is a DP who also would transition into directing. And they all made movies together with another gentleman named Vittorio Storaro, who on this, I believe, is just a camera operator on this one. But he is the DP of The Fifth Chord, 
And then he transitions to the West and he's the DP of Apocalypse Now and The Last Emperor, Reds, and many other movies in America. Mm. So one of the absolute best. He's still working, Vittorio Storaro. He's absolutely one of the best DPs of all time. And so this movie looks oh, yeah. terrific. It's not Vittorio Storaro, but it's Carlo uh, Bazzoni. And I just think he is a very underrated director. And this is not a typical spaghetti Western. This is a very serious, dramatic story, a love story. But it has some of those touches, some of those flavors. But the ending's a very dark note. Just the cinematography is just gorgeous. I was like, oh, this is terrific. And I have to see this guy's other movies. They're not easy to always find. But there's a couple, I think, called Blue Brothers, I think, is another spaghetti Western of his. That's not easy to find. Like Dirk knows, now I have to go down this rabbit hole and I have have to to find them all and I have to watch them all because I have loved these two movies so much already that I'm like, okay, this is not a guy that gets talked about like all the other Italian directors. And now I have to see it. In fact, the only reason Franco Nero is in uh, The Fifth Chord is because he started making movies with these guys. And then he did this and he did another one. And then they called him for Fifth Chord and he was like, you bet. Even though he, at that point, he'd already been in America and found some success, but he was like, got to make movies with my old buddies. That's the best Franco Nero I've ever seen. Thank you. I've been working on it and I appreciate it. It's, you know, I was a little nervous to to bust it out, but I appreciate that. You're like the Bill Hader of Franco Nero impersonators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would recommend it. This is the Blue Underground disc if you're into that. And I think of Man, could... Pride, and Vengeance? Man, Pride, and Vengeance. Yeah. My number four is Vacations of Terror 2. This is from 1991. An evil demon terrorizes guests at a little girl's ghost-themed birthday party. It's Spanish. You can pre-order it now from Vinegar Syndrome, and it comes with the first film as well. I'm so shocked that this popped up. It's Vacations of Terror. It might be the Spanish title, which I don't know how to pronounce, but I always knew it as Vacations of Terror 2. I'd heard it spoken about, but not really much it was usually a blurb or something that i just found randomly referenced so i finally tracked it down this year it was on youtube not looking great so i'm really hoping um to well i i pre-ordered today the uh, <laughs> vacations of terror one and two which will be out by the time this episode is released it's one of those things like the first film didn't really do a lot for me and then the second one there's a, it's basically about a haunted doll kind of situation but in the second one the doll transforms into a goblin so it's a dude in like a green rubber mask thing and it, when it happens, it's like all you ever want to have happen in a movie. Like you're just like, <laughs> this is amazing. And then it's like, it feels very 80s because it's, you know, the 90s, but it's Spanish. And so, you know, you have like, I don't know, the costuming and everything still feels very footed in the 80s. So it's got that great aesthetic, you know, the goblin will like throw fiery pumpkins and things. It's just like, I don't know, every choice that went into this making this horror movie, I don't even need the first one, to be honest. I've much preferred this movie exists just on its own weird terms. But yeah, it's if you look up Vacations of Terror 2 and you see the goblin face, if that doesn't make you want to watch this movie, then, you know, you could spend your time doing something else. But I think, for me, when I finally got to see it, I was like, this is great, I'm going to talk about this for one of our new release late returns, and then I saw Vinegar Syndrome releasing it, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to mention it right now in the discoveries, because then maybe people will pre-order it and uh, and check this thing out, because it's going to be talked about on podcasts for sure once people start getting their eyes on it. If you do it for the podcast, do you just find somebody who goes on professional vacations? Yes, <laughs> yep, professional, just a... Uh, like a taste a professional maker. vacationer 
Yeah, I actually have friends that have a travel site. And oh. So they're actually mm -hmm. on a cruise ship right now. So I should have asked them, but now I've ruined it all. So no. you have. This is great. I'm glad this will be coming for me You'll as be a subscriber. It. So yeah, and I will do what we like to do on our podcast, which is start at the end of a franchise and work our way backwards. <laughs> I'll start at two and then I'll do one after that. Yeah, I mean, it's worth it. Vacations of Terror 2. Lindsay, what's your number three? We're in the top three. What is it? My number three is... A Tale of Two Sisters. Yes, again, another movie I should have seen before. This is directed by Kim Ji Woon for 2003. I had actually seen the American remake of this before, but nothing prepared me for the original Tale of Two Sisters. Uh, this movie floored me. It was only after I was watching that Shudder 100 Scariest Moments kind of thing, and they had the scene with the kitchen and the um, stepmother looking down underneath, the, I think it was a dishwasher, and I went, I should watch that movie, and watched it, and... I had every single emotion after watching this movie. I was nearly in tears because it's incredibly sad. It is incredibly brutal. It is incredibly funny. It is incredibly weird. It's a masterpiece. This is the same guy who made um, Saw the Devil, which is an incredible movie. But I think when you see a tale of two sisters, it floors you. It legitimately just floors you. Yeah. Ryan? I don't know this one. Perfect. I'm excited for you to see it because this oh. is one of the movies that I bought from the store that didn't have anything in English on it. This is the DVD I picked up when it was initially released. And so I saw it and then had no one to talk about this movie with unless I made them watch it. So I, my wife has seen it. But other than that, I'd never gotten to talk about this movie with anybody. I love Tale of Two Sisters so much. It was a blind buy back then. And it just like blew me away. I just I couldn't believe it. And then the frustration of having no one to talk about it with was was so hard. Even though it's Kim Ji-woon, who's kind of a well-known South Korean director, I think a lot of people still haven't seen this yet. And it's absolutely phenomenal. Well, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go with a French action movie called Lost Bullet from 2020, directed by Guillaume Perret and starring... Alban, it's on Netflix. It's an easy it one to it's see. Very easy one to see. Yeah, and the sequel. And I just rewatched it the other night just to make sure because I'd really enjoyed this. And I liked it even more. Simplistic plot, you know, pretty simple. This guy, kind of a thief and uh, a mechanic, and he gets busted and he goes to jail. And then this guy who heads the special police unit takes him out and says, I want you to be our mechanic on a work furlough and he is and then he's there witnessing as the guy is murdered uh the head of this department by a crooked cop and he is being framed for this murder and it's all about him having to get out of it there's just really good fights in this i really enjoyed the sort of very kinetic action it was filmed really well i love the car chases alvin lenoir is really good in this it makes the renault 21 i was just writing my brother who's a big car guy and I was like, you have to see this movie because it makes the Renault 21 look like the best car in the entire world. And I was like, Mark, please, he'll know. My brother is a big car guy. And I was like, you'll know. Tell me if this is the good. Because I'm sitting there going, this is awesome. And he might watch it and go, that's no, you can't do that. Like with a car. That's how my brother's brain works. But I, it doesn't matter to me. If he gets back to me and goes, oh, yeah, no, that's all that all tracks. Then I'm like, this is even better. But I just uh, really enjoy this. And I and I watched it one morning on a weekend and then rolled right into the second one. Super enjoyed both these movies. I think that they are real good. And this was during a phase where I was like, 
I pay for Netflix and the kids watch the heck out of it, but I'm not seeing all the stuff on it and I need to see it and see what's on there. And, uh, and I ran into this and I was like, well, this was just great. And uh, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I enjoy watching. So yeah, Lost Bullet. Check it out if you haven't. Yeah, during one of Melbourne's lockdowns, I remember watching it because it was getting to the point where I think we'd seen all the movies that I could show my partner that I knew he just wouldn't look at me and go, why are you making me watch this? And he's not a big subtitles guy, but he really enjoyed it. Uh, but I haven't seen the sequel yet because um, it wasn't out. I don't think it was out or something, but no, I need to watch it because the first one is really fun. <laughs> it's super fun. It's really a fun movie. and. Hmm. Yeah, I just, yeah, watched it again and just went, yeah. And it, and it ended and it was like, oh, did I already finish? It's already done. Like, it's just such moves. a, like, it just moves. It's just delightful. It's a fun little action movie. And I think people will go, oh, this is kind of like Fast and the Furious. Maybe a little bit, sort of. I mean, it's got- The influence car, is there. The influence and the car chases. But far as I can recall, no car was sent into space. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love the fact that they sent a car into space. I'm just saying this one's a little bit more grounded and a little bit more, you know, the fight scenes are, you know, very visceral and they're not particularly martial arts. They're all, they're just, you know, is just the one where he's like one apprehended is... and then fights his way out of the police station. That sequence. Correct. Yes. Mm. And he's chained to the table. And yeah, that mm. scene so is good. awesome. And they're just crawling over each other. And yeah. the way it's choreographed is just so creative. And the use of like a tight space, it's mm -hmm. it's really good. It's mm. good stuff for sure. Yeah. And I think the fact that, you know, your partner wasn't too worried is that a lot of that scene, like there's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah. No. no, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't a lot of chit chat. I literally did a thing where I'm like, oh, it's French? Oh, I didn't know that kind of a thing. And then we're just watching it. And then we just, yeah, as soon as that scene happened, he's like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> it's such a great scene. It's really good stuff. My number three is also in the action world. Slightly different flavor. It's a film called The Vampire is Still Alive, a.k.a. Counter Destroyer from 1989, directed by a little guy I sometimes like to talk about, Godfrey Ho. Uh, the <laughs> synops Never heard of him. Never yeah, heard of him. Here he is, top three. Synopsis is Joyce rents an old haunted home to pen her horror script, which releases an evil army of robot vampires, a knife-wielding demon, and a battalion of otherworldly creatures. As I said, I was watching all of the Godfrey Ho movies, and I had no idea this was Robo Vampire 3. It just, uh, I was just watching it, and then 10 minutes before the end, there's the Robocop dude <laughs> just shows up, and you're like, Oh, wow, this is Robo Vampire 3? Like, they did three of these, but it has two alternate titles and neither of which is Robo Vampire 3. I love you, Godfrey. Thank you for being you. <laughs> it's got so much stuff crammed into this thing. It's got half-hopping vampires, a cat man with claws, ninjas, there's crime, and the return of uh, Robocrap, some people call him. But it's such a delight. And some of the movies, like, as they were going, I was like, sure, ninjas turn into fish and whatever. But, like, this one... <laughs> the old hat at this point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, sprinkle ninja fantasy. But this one just caught me off guard with how it just... The way he just threw the things that he likes in there. And sometimes he really gets me. You know, Ninja Killing Field with the Cocteau Twin soundtrack. And this one, it's just like... I just love the wild craziness that I'm like, who is this for? I say that a lot when I watch his movies, because I'm like, who is this for if not me? Like, he, this man does not know me, but he somehow can look into my brain and be like, 
And right about now, Dirk's going to probably want a guy that makes cat sounds. And I'm like, I did want that. And he does have claws. And like, thank you, Godfrey Ho, for doing this for me. So like a personal gift, uh, the vampire is still alive, a.k.a. Counter Destroyer from 1989 is my number three. Wow. Yes. I think there's a weekend you had where you watched nothing but Godfrey Ho movies and you kept posting clips. And I think yeah. I had as, as nearly a good a time as you did, Dirk, because I was just like, wait, he ninja himself out of the car? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. My wife went out of town and I was just like, I just had a stack. I'm like, okay, here we go. 48 hours of Godfrey Ho. <laughs> and uh, whew, that was, I mean, the last couple hours, I don't even know what was happening. But I also was it's confused at the beginning. But yeah. yeah, but it was pretty magical. Brings us to number two. Lindsay, what do you have for number two? probably can get a different movie for this one well i think i've done a couple of classics but this is a true classic always on one of those lists that you have to watch uh but that is david lean's a brief encounter trevor howard and cicely johnson it is 1945 it is one of the most romantic movies i have seen in a while a married woman goes into the city happens to meet trevor howard at his peak they fall in love and they have an emotional affair and it is delightful it is sad it's an old coward penned movie so the dialogue is just sparkling and witty i've never seen this sort of emotional fears have been done in movies before but this one's particularly sad and bittersweet because you know it's not going to end happily but it's going to end the way it's going to end and yeah i mean those performances are just stunning they filmed it i think on the south of london's because it was just as the war was ending so they had enough time to hide if there was another air raid yeah it's it's just a magical movie and even if you think you don't like 1940s melodramas give this one a watch because it is just a well done movie it's like oh yeah david lean good director (laughs) brian you know this one i know of it i don't think i've ever seen it I haven't either, but we all know how I've been spending my time. So Yes. <laughs> there were I no mean, ninjas turning into cats in this movie, unfortunately. Yeah, it would be perfect right in between Vampire Still Alive yeah. or Robo Vampire and then yeah. Robo Vampire 2 or whatever. Yeah, this would fit perfectly in in there. But no, I have not seen this one. And and you know, it's always a reminder, like I have a bunch of Blu-rays which are all older movies, and I'm like, I'm gonna get there, guys. I'm gonna get there. I also have a you know great appreciation and fondness mm. for it. But I admit, because of the podcast and everything, I find myself going more genre. Going to have to check this out. There's a lot of David Lean that I actually haven't seen. That's a great mistake on my part. So Mm. I have to change that. Yeah, I knew between the three of us that, Lindsay, you were probably going to bring something from 40s melodrama. I just had a feeling that that uh, would help anchor some of the things that I was going to babble about. So I appreciate you bringing David Lean on there. Once again, that is, what's the title? Brief Encounter. There you are. Ryan, what's your number two? My number two, well, getting back to the uh, genre <laughs> stuff that I like to watch. You were talking about when we were trying to get copies of these movies, and it's very difficult. It was very hard for me to find a lot of Sonny Chiba movies, but that is becoming something that is not that hard anymore. Box it was very difficult. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of me scouring DVD bins and Tower Records to find Bodyguard and The Street Fighter and all those. So some of those early movies and The Street Fighter is still my touchstones. One of my bigger touchstones. I love that series. Um, yeah. I have the new like one from Shout Factory, but Arrow is putting out a new one, and I'm definitely considering getting it again. Which oh, that makes, is it's no that's sense. sitting in my box no sense. to watch. Yeah, because I've got Lady Street Fighter now. I just need Street yes. Fighter. Yeah, I have Lady Terminator. And then uh, Sister Street Fighter, I have that series too. I there love is. those oh, movies. I only have one and two. Yes. Mm. Of the Sister Street Fighter? Yeah. The new collection has... Isn't it three? 
I have it around here somewhere. I believe there's three. Yeah. But anyway, so I was trying to find one, and I've been watching through also the Sunny Chiba collection that they did uh, on Shout Factory as well. And there's definitely one that I, has not left my brain, but it's not the one I'm going to pick because I was trying to find something a little bit more of that uh, Street Fighter flavor, and I'm talking about the Executioner. Yes. Oh, someone's doing a big release of this as well. Was it? Is it Arrow? Because I it is the Arrow. It has both the Executioner films on it. Yeah. And this one is a lot of fun. I still sometimes expect to see a little bit of Terry Tashugi in every performance. And he is a very varied actor. He started out in TV, uh, Sonny Chiba. He has, in another timeline, he would have been a handsome, romantic leading man in movies, but he'd always done martial arts. And so, you know, but this one is a movie is directed by Tiro Ishii. He did not want to make martial arts movies. He made a bunch of Shogun of Torture with those kinds of movies. He did like all oh, of those. Yep. Joy of Torture, he did. Like... Oh, yes, yes. That's actually a thing sitting downstairs somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like eight of these movies in this series, and he did all of them. Shogun's Joy of Torture, yeah, amongst mm -hmm. many of the, the Joys of Torture series, essentially. Mm -hmm. So he did all those. He did not want to do a martial arts film, but he did a great job with this one. And it has enough of the weird sort of bonkers stuff that you would expect from a Sonny Chiba movie. But it's also him. He is studied to be a ninja. You see a little bit of flashback of him as a kid. And then he teams up with two other criminals and they're trying to take out drug dealers. That's essentially the long and the short of it. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely ends on like a comedic note <laughs> and has a lot more comedy than you maybe are expecting. But like the second bodyguard movie, also known as Bodyguard Kiba, that one is a little bit more like a silly, he and another guy break out of prison, kind of goofy, like we're two different people. And this one's we're three different people with three different ways of going about things. And a boy, boy, our personalities clash. So yeah, it has yeah. a little bit of that, but it also has like, yeah, I'm going to punch you in the back of the head and your eyeball is going to come out. And like, so it still has sort of that weird bonker stuff and plenty of fight scenes at the end where we just, hey, let's not fight one guy. Let's fight a room full of guys. That'll be fun i just thought this one has a, a lot of that one and I, I just if people are on the fence about sunny chiba i don't know you need to get into the sunny chiba movies yes uh, i really really dig them it'll be probably on my discoveries list next year as i go through yeah as many of these movies yeah. as i can because i'm like i have this is a wonderful time to be a sunny chiba fan yes yeah and instead of having to scour bins and just search through ebay or any of that stuff they're all coming they're all just getting out there i have bullet train pre-ordered and on the way and so I'm excited. The Executioner, that's my number two pick. Get on it, Sonny Chiba. Excellent pick. I couldn't be more in agreement with you. I'm so excited for these movies that we've been talking about, whether it's the Shaw Scope stuff or Sonny Chiba's getting all these different box set or different multi-pack film releases. Because it's like we saw this the crappy, scrappy versions for years and to now oh, see like yeah. as these directors intended these films to look and you're just like, it's mind blowing. It's just like, this is amazing. And it was like chopped down to like NTSC or whatever. It's like, we saw just portions of things. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. it's really, it's very cool that this is like you said, a perfect time to dive into that catalog. Yeah. If you haven't done it, if you're on the fence, get off the fence, jump right yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah. You weird fence people. Sorry. They're always getting at my podcast. Leap my podcast. off the fence yeah. down into these movies like Sonny Chiba would. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. And then when Punch you've done and you finish out. one, you can leap back up and sure. land back on the fence as yeah. Sunny Chiba would as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
That's right. Go see that sunny cheaper triple, like in true romance. Just say yes. <laughs> yes. All right, my number two. So after Blue Dirty Paradise was a movie I talked about in our top ten discoveries. Um, That's because, right. Because of that, uh, and my love for this director, Bertrand Mendinko, I came across... Oh, yeah. And for anyone that didn't listen, I described it sort of as a lesbian El Topo in space. Uh, that's French. But Mondo Macabre put out the short films of Bertrand Mandinko titled Apocalypse After. Yes, yes. And oh, very cool. I picked this up and I messaged Ryan, as I tend to do when I get really excited about things and I'm watching at night. And I was like, I, don't you love the feeling you get when you see something and you're so excited that you're seeing it and you can't believe that it exists. And that's how I feel about this. Anytime you love a director and somebody puts out the limited edition collection of their shorts and you really get to watch 11 movies from this director as they're experimenting and expanding their artistic efforts and their expressions and you watch them go from black and white to starting to delve into sort of strange and obtuse subjects to then going on to like the massive use of color that that Bertrand Mendico likes to do. And you really see this growth and this progression through the short films. And some of them, like it even starts off like a little like Brothers Quay, like little Odic-ish. And, and you're just like, what is this? And then it's, you know, you're in the woods and there's one short in particular, I don't know the name of it, but you start off with this child that has a wooden box on their head and one hole over one eye. And the it's in French, so you know, you're, you're reading subtitles. It's about being a filmmaker and how you see the world. And you see this play out as this little child with a box over their head with a little eye hole. And they're looking around. And I was just grinning ear to ear. I was so excited about this because it reminds me of like first discovering art house cinema and someone like doing something you're like you can do this like it, not everything has to be the same type of of action movie or whatever like this just felt so like rich and and exciting and i mean i just like went into the kitchen where my wife was testing a recipe she's working on a new book and i was i was just like like talking a million miles an hour because I was just so overjoyed. Then we went and sat in the hot tub and I just couldn't stop talking about it. I was just like <laughs> so excited. I don't know. I don't know. I just, After Blue really caught me off guard and it led me to this collection from Mondo Macabre. I think, you know, it's just a must for people that are interested in any of the things that I've talked about, but I mean, not Godfrey Ho, but I mean <laughs> Bertrand Mendinko. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really a special little thing for me. I'm so glad I picked it up. I'm so glad they put it out because I don't know how you would ever see these things. So I, don't, I, I love that we've been championing all these different labels and all the hard work mm -hmm. that they're putting out to do these releases. Because for me, like, I, I clearly am still really excited about it. So that yeah. is my number two is uh, Apocalypse After the short films of Bertrand that's awesome and i gotta i gotta get into this guy i have not seen some of this stuff but it sounds like i, I mean, mean it hits you on a very visceral level and so it sounds like it's definitely worth checking out i've been meaning to watch after blue i think it's on shutter still oh, so great yeah well and even if you don't like like if you put in after blue and you're just like i don't know not for me maybe right now or whatever mm -hmm. i think definitely ryan possibly Lindsay, depending on your mood but these shorts just feel like like I said, it goes from Brothers to Quay to like maybe Lynchian stuff if I'm using him as a shorthand, not per se, but there's like kind of some symbolism and art housey stuff and then kind of gets more up to where After Blue was, where it's more of a narrative kind of thing, but very, very bizarre. 
there's a whole short where a guy's getting hung, but he's pulled up to the very, very top of a very, very tall tree. And you're just like, what is, why is he, and he's, they just keep looking up so far and it's just bizarre. Like, I don't even like, I'm so glad I own this. And I don't know if I could show it to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the best kinds of discoveries though. When something hits you just so personally and viscerally that you're like, I want to talk about it, but I just don't think anyone else is going to get it because this was made for me. And like Godfrey Ho or, you know, After Blue and and that and after that his collection, which is really cool thing that I've seen that on Shutter. So I need to go and watch it because I know you absolutely loved it. So. It's weird they have it because I wouldn't consider it horror, which is normally what I think of for Shutter. But I guess they're mm. b- branching out, I guess. It's if it's surreal enough, they'll do yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. If there's enough in like the Venn diagram to kind of fit it into some element of horror, even if it's just like cool visuals. Yeah. They'll do that. Well, I'm glad it's out there, but I'm definitely going to buy it to go because now I have this. I need both. Disease. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, what's your number one? My number one. Well, it wouldn't be me if I didn't have a Frankenstein movie on somewhere on here, but I'm going to go Son of Frankenstein, Roland V. Lee from 1939, Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. One of my favorite movies of all time is of course, Young Frankenstein. Yes. But growing up as a kid, I did not realize that he was just remaking Son of Frankenstein. Me neither. So I was friggin' Leo on the couch pointing at the television for the whole time. Mm-hmm. But this movie is fantastic. It is so good. So good. If you've seen Young Frankenstein, you generally know where this is going to go. This is the <laughs> last time I think Karloff played the monster. I think Glenn Strange took over the role for Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. Yeah, I mean, it's got Bella Lugosi, Basil Rathbone. It has got Lionel Atwell playing the guy with the with the middle arm, which is so well done in Young Frankenstein. The kid's adorable. It is this beautiful, gothic, magical movie that I just sank into. And I had it sitting on my shelf for so long and hadn't watched it. Put it on one Friday night when I was home and just... Oh my God. It was just, I was smiling and pointing and just giggling my way through the whole thing. It is amazing. And I love the Universal Monster movie. So this isn't a huge surprise because I love them all mostly. But this one was just that, holy shit. I didn't think I could discover a a monster movie I loved this much. And it's Son of Frankenstein. Like it is so good. (laughs) Ryan, what's your history? What do you got? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's funny. I think I saw this also in the past year. Because I have the Frank the Universal uh, Frankenstein box set, you know, and Dracula and the Wolfman. So I'm just yeah. trying to tick these off and I'm trying to show these to my kids, like the original ones. But I didn't show Son of Frankenstein. I, that was one I just watched on my own. And I had the same thing. I'd seen Young Frankenstein so many times. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it was like, wait, what? This is the, they took everything from, the, I thought it was like, oh, they're taking from Bride of Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein. No, they take it almost literally all from this. It's all about the son of Frankenstein, the son of Dr. Frankenstein coming to town and everybody goes, whoa, oh, we know about your dad. Your dad was uh, kind of costume. <clears throat> yeah, caused some trouble here. I don't know if you know that, but uh, so you being here makes us a little, a little skittish. And he's like, well, don't worry. I'm not going to do all the crazy stuff that he did, but I will also <laughs> secretly do exactly what my dad did. And uh, all your fears are founded, which is not great. But this movie is amazing. I loved it. And it might be my favorite Frankenstein. I love this movie. It's so good. Obviously, it's hard to beat the original or Bride, really, which is also like fantastic. But I I just loved this one. I'm so glad you picked it. It is really fucking good. It's really good. It is 
it doesn't feel like it should be because usually after those first couple of movies, like the main five or six that you have yeah, in, the, yeah. in the box set. And then when you start getting the legacy ones and you start watching them, you're like, you know what? House of Frankenstein is just like a good party. And you find ones you like, like uh, Daughter of Dracula, which is amazing. Yes. But then I, for some reason, just missed out on this one and watched it, even though it was sitting there for years and just went, oh my God. It is just, yeah, it's just really good. I mean, it's not as flashy as, say, the original two. It's not as revolutionary right. as the other two. Right. Not as visually, but, like, you know, stylish. Yeah, maybe stylish, like, bride, but, yeah. but... But there's a scene in a graveyard with Bella Lugosi. I think they're literally digging up a new body. or So they're doing something that can bring back, um, bring back Karloff. And it is such an evocative, beautiful scene. I mean, it is... And it's really longer than the others. And the others are really get in, get out. But this kind of lingers and you just get to live in the world of it. And it's all just gothic, mist, cemeteries, dark castles. It's the original just uproot your family, go to a strange castle. And now, you know, things like shenanigans are going to happen kind of thing. And yeah, it's just perfect. It is just, yeah, I don't know if I can say it's, I love it because I've only seen it, I think, twice now. I don't think I love it as much as Bride and the original. But oh my God, it is so good. Like everything about it just works. It just, it's so, it was such a surprise. I think that's yeah, why I'm like, maybe a little bit more than anything. Cause I, I just was like shocked. This thing was like, I did not anticipate I was going to see something. Number one, that it was the touch, touchstone for young Frankenstein. And I just didn't think I was yeah. going to like love this thing. Cause like you said, I, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, you're going to start seeing echoes. Is this going to be Nightmare on Elm Street 4 or Nightmare on Elm Street 5? Like, I don't know. Could be, you know, we'll see. I enjoy lots of 4, so we'll see. Yes. It was like, oh, no, this is really, really good on its own. It's just a really good movie. Yeah, because Universal, like a lot of other things, ran the ran the monster movies into the ground. I mean, mm -hmm. nearly well into the 50s. I mean, they got a resurgence with Creature, but they just really mowed them down. And when you're watching, it still feels fresh, original. It's just one of those great sequels where you're just like going, yes! Yeah, and, and again, <laughs> the, the plot is literally like the, the sun shows up and does it again. And it's like, well, how good is this going to be? You know? <laughs> exactly. This is not... We're like, well, just redoing the first one, but like with the sun. Yeah. It feels like, uh, okay, we'll see, press play. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, no, I really love this. This is great. Yeah, it also has like just the aesthetic of it, like you were talking about, Lindsay, is like, this is a movie that was played in the goth bar I used to go to on the wall. You know, it's one yeah. of those things that was just projected because it's like sound off. It works. Like it just works. It has all the <laughs> things so you want. It's so beautiful. Yeah. 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 That's great. You've got some good classy picks and I appreciate that. <laughs> Ryan, what's your number one classy pick? My number one, I'm going to do a classy pick. I told you I do like older movies. And so this is one that I know a lot of people have seen, but I haven't. And so, and I saw it and I was like, holy shit, how good is this? Because we all have directors we love. And this is a director I really like, but there's a lot of movies that I haven't seen. There's still one John Carpenter movie I haven't seen and I'm holding on to it. And I'm not watching it because I like, I still have one left. And yeah. it's like, I'll yeah. get, I'm going to get there. But then when I get there, I will have none left. So I'm just holding on to it. Elvis, I will get to you. But in any <laughs> case, this is uh, 1964's The Train by John Frankenheimer. <gasps> yes. Which uh, is just fucking incredible movie. I absolutely love this from start to finish. It's about the end of the war and Nazis trying to take a lot of art out of France. And, you know, Burt Lancaster saying, no, nope, no, you're not. 
I'm going to stop this train. And I'm going to do everything necessary. And and it's based on a real story and they embellish it a little bit, but oh my God, this thing is amazing. It's in black and white. The visuals are absolutely incredible. And Burke Lancaster absolutely goes for it. And I think I knew that about Burke Lancaster, but growing up, he was an older guy at that point. So I know him from some of his older films. And that's how I kind of think of him. But I've seen a couple of like Westerns and stuff like that with Burt Lancaster and this. And he's just such a, he's such a different guy. He's so good at the, you know, the age I, I originally saw him. I think Max Dugan Returns, I'm thinking, or is that Robarbs? Mm. I think that's Robarbs. Never mind. In some of the movies I saw him when he was older, he's still very good. But this one, he literally comes out of the train overlook tower, slides down a ladder and runs up and jumps onto a legitimately moving train. Like this guy does tons of his own stunts in this fucking movie. He is balls out. It's a great, great movie. Great villains. It's just a, it was an absolute classic and I get why everybody loved it. And I saw it and I loved it. This is the, the Kino Blu-ray looks mm -hmm. terrific. That had to be my number one. That's awesome. I love how to train your dragon. It's really good. And, Very good. Um, yeah. Yes. The sequels. <laughs> no, I haven't seen this movie, but um, season five of the show is just, <laughs> that's where it comes together my kids have seen all of it all oh really yeah. all, oh my yeah. god yeah. yeah okay well they're way uh, into they're way into john frankenheimer that's what we're talking about right yeah. right right i haven't seen this you've film, raised them well <laughs> but Lindsay, you you've seen this yeah i saw it a couple of years ago i was surprised by the fact that uh lancaster was like leaping from things onto moving trains. oh yeah it's was surprising i don't know if wasn't expecting it. i'm like wow Burke Haslanders, though he was famous for wanting to do his own stunts, I think he was like, no, get me in there. No, it's it's mm -hmm. really tense. This is my favorite kind of Frankenheimer movie when it's just balls to the wall action. You don't know what's going on. It is so good. And just because it's really simple premise, Nazis want art, the resistance want to stop them. And then Burke Lancaster has to go in. Kind of, he doesn't want at the beginning. Like he's like, well, really? I mean, you know, the Nazis have done some pretty shitty things and you're worried about the art. But it is so tense and just so exciting. And all the cast is really great. It's got that really kind of grounded feel, even when John when Lancaster's just like leaping from train train to train. But it's really worth a watch. It's just, it's like a just a really solid, great. No, it's more than solid. It's just a fantastic 60s action movie that you don't expect to pop as much as it does. But yeah, this is when Frankenheimer's just on the wall cylinders just firing. And Frankenheimer is like such a great director, but he his filmography is so all over the place and it really is yeah and and there's just you know yeah he did reindeer games and yeah the prophecy also franken it's just he's kind of defend both those movies but i accept that <laughs> no no prophecy is like a 1979 mutant bear yeah it's uh it's a wild one and he's just done some very weird films there's sometimes it would just clicks, you know, 52 pickup. I absolutely love that movie. Oh, yes. Ronan, my oh. kids were so sweet. They know how much I love Ronan. So they saw it at a garage sale and bought me the DVD. I absolutely adore that movie. Manchurian Candidate, I think was one of his first movies. Manchurian Candidate. Yes. Just an yeah. absolute classic. I saw him in person at one of the Fangoria Weekend of Horrors when they were really, when they were, he was releasing Island of Dr. Moreau. When that was coming out, and I lived, my brother and I sat and listened to him talk about that in the Doc Moreau. We're like, maybe this one's going to be pretty good. Narrator <laughs> inserts, it wasn't. Um, no, it wasn't. Oh, <laughs> it <really> wasn't. <laughs> He's got a lot of great ones. Dead Bang. I love uh, The Challenge, if you've never mm. seen that. Just some great stuff, but it's sometimes a roll of the dice. And seeing this, you're just like, he's one of the greatest directors, you know, ever. Like, it's just. Mm. 
It's just tremendous. I highly recommend the train. Perfect. I highly recommend the train. And what was going to be was I was going to talk about the train and then I was going to end with Alien Private Eye. Yes. Because that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Brian's that's movie true. taste is pretty much that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I love like bona fide classics also. <laughs> the train. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm also going to end with a bona fide classic. Um, my number one is a film that was lost and luckily found. It is Carnival Magic from 1983, directed by Al Adamson, starring Donald Bruce Stewart, Regina mm. Carroll, Jennifer mm. Colton, and Trudy mm. the Chimp. <laughs> okay. Oh, the synopsis. Salad. Oh, God, there he is. Oh, that chimp haunts my nightmares. After oh. I listened to that episode, I watched it, and I have never been the same since. <sighs> the synopsis is a jealous lion tamer kidnaps a magician's talking chimpanzee and hands the animal over for scientific experiments. It's such a dark synopsis. It a, is. It is. Of a children's film. And it's true, but yeah. it, it feels like it's lacking a lot. Oh, my God. So... If you are first time hearing this podcast and you don't know the episode we're referring to, Ryan and I talked about Carnival Magic on an ongoing series of kinder trauma movies that I'm asking Ryan to watch with me. It's a movie that I paused instantly the second the chimp talked because I didn't know that was a thing and just was like, hey, would you watch this? And so then Ryan tracked it down for a, a steal at $7, really. And um... I, Well, it was on sale at Severance, so... But then I had to wait for it. And I remember you kind of going, oh, has it shown up yet? And <laughs> yeah. you started, I'm sure, going, I hope this isn't building a lot of anticipation for Ryan in well, terms of what he's about to watch. <laughs> so when Ryan was kind enough to ask me on New World Pictures and I got to pick a movie from New World Pictures Productions and I chose The Great Land of Small, that began this bizarre <laughs> friendship where my brain has decided that ryan enjoys this and so when i come across these weird kids films i'm like well i need to talk to ryan about this and so yeah this was where i was like gosh i don't know if we can be friends after this because this might ruin everything but luckily we're cut from a similar cloth and the second that that chimpanzee speaks you you just go Oh, I'm all in for what's happening. I love that movie. I love it so much. It's sitting, it's not in here. It's on the shelves and uh, I walk by it and see it and I smile. I adore that movie. It's. I went back and listened to the first half of that episode and we're talking like we're not about to talk about Carnival Magic. It's just a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. And then once Carnival Magic starts, we're like cry laughing. I mm -hmm. think I was very low on oxygen by the end of the episode it's like, it was such a wonderful discovery because this film was lost and then found, what was it, 30 right. years later or something? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was lost for a long time. And then restored, put out by Second Vinegar to last Sin movie. Was it Vinegar or who was it that put it out? I it's Severin Kids. Severin Kids, that's right. Yeah. It's yes. their kids line. Yeah, and it has a bonus film with Line it. up, kids. Yeah. <laughs> it is so weird and i just love it and that episode where we both realized that we were falling in love with this movie like oh yeah it's just it's i not another film has brought me that much like pure joy than carnival magic which is something that like i could have easily have never seen i would have i mean the cover just had a weird elvis like dressed chimpanzee drawing situation mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i was like i guess i'll watch it and th the reason for this is if you didn't hear that episode the voice they give the chimpanzee 
is exactly what Ryan just did. <laughs> it sounds like George Burns if he was a chimpanzee. Yeah, it should not be a monkey's voice in a <laughs> so... children's film. There's no, it's, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a monkey's voice in any film. And everything that happens in this movie is just steeped in sadness. Everyone's backstory. It's like the weirdest. There's not even children in the movie. Everyone's too old. I wish I could even make other people love it the way that I do, because I could see people would watch it and just be like, I don't I don't get it. But like the lion tamer, that's the adversary of the magician. He's hated by all of the animals. And that's funny mm-hmm. to me. It's just carnival magic is pure magic. And also, for me. as you you have pointed this out, the monkey is magic, but everybody's just like he talks. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what they're upset. But he yeah. actually is magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no one cares about that. And then it just ends in a parade. I know I'm going to see other Al Adamson films, but yeah. I am very. I and I'm not super familiar with all of his work, but I'm like I think I've seen the best movie he ever did. <laughs> Maybe no one else. But Dirk is going to agree with me. But holy crap, I don't know if if he can do better than that. That's great. But then I watched the the last movie he did, which is yeah, I saw that too. Now, it, which is also on that disc. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's about a girl who loses her horse or whatever. And it's like it's it's fine, more appropriate kids film. But yeah, it, it would have been better if it was just the horse being like, "Where am I? <laughs> I'm, I'm lost. lost. <laughs> Wish I had some fruit salad." <laughs> But Carnival Magic is something. It's just something, and it's part of the whole reason for. I'm sure we talked about this in the episode. The whole reason why you, I love physical media and love the what these boutique labels are doing because you're they're literally preserving films. Yeah. Now, some of you might mm. say, uh, "Do we all need Carnival Magic?" And I would say, yeah, "Yes, I did. yes, we I do. needed it." I would say, "I would say, yes, we do." Yeah, there are the labels that are putting out. There's Criterion's. We have we have Arrow. We have we have companies that are putting out some of the classic movies right and then we have vinegar syndrome and, and severin and some of these other yeah. ones that are putting out ones that are like well <laughs> you didn't know you didn't you love this movie but you will love this movie and, yeah. and and taking these gems and and saving them from obscurity and from uh being destroyed that's a big reason why i you know have gone so deep into physical media because it's you know it's helping preserve these films yeah no exactly i mean i would have never heard of Carnival of Magic, if it wasn't for you two. I don't think I would have heard of Al Adamson if it wasn't for that documentary that I saw. And then track down a copy of Satan Sadist, which is a very different movie to Carnival <laughs> Magic. It is, yeah. It, think, yeah, because yeah. he was more known as this weird horror guy who just, yeah. And then all of a sudden yeah. Carnival of Magic comes out and you're just like, what the hell is this? So it was yeah. more of a, it confounded me a little bit, but you're right. With the year monkey talk, you're just like, I'm sorry, what just happened <laughs> Yeah, the scene, like, the guy's heard the monkey talk, and then he sees the monkey fetch him a glass of orange juice, and he's like, this is amazing! And you're like, no, it it talked! Like, the monkey getting you juice isn't the crazy part, man. Like, what's happening in this movie? Just looking at Carnival Magic on Letterboxd, too, there is, just randomly seen, there's a review that's one and a half stars, oh, and there is a, a review below it that is four and a half stars. Yeah. <laughs> That person gets it. They get it. <laughs> that, you know, you could be either or. 
You know, the other person was the other person rented Mean Streets and Carnival Magic at the same night. It was like, well, this yeah. is a one star movie compared right. to Mean Streets. There's yeah. one person that's angry and sad, and there's <laughs> another person that lives a life of joy. Yeah. And you figure out which one of those two reviewers that is. <laughs> I wish you could. Re- can you review reviews on Letterboxd? Because that's like my new thing that I would do. <laughs> that's the next thing. <laughs> yes. I yeah. guess that's a comment, but it's not really the same. We should be able yeah. to review the reviews. Yeah. Mm. I'd be like, you get one and a half stars i'd never really worry too much about letterbox reviews but it's funny to me that this is 1.7 is the average rating <laughs> oh, no! well how many views does it have like it can't be a lot right that's a good call i don't know how many it has yeah i can't have tons there's it's a good amount there's a good amount there's only a few people though that 15 gave it five stars yes <laughs> and there's One only six that me. gave it four and a half stars and there's 54 stars so that's good but mm. but there is 319 people that gave it one star. <laughs> wow. Well, that helps me know that I don't want to meet 319 people. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's such a weird filmmaker and he ends his film, his career with two kids films. And one mm. of which is just bonkers. Yeah. Wild story, man. Wild filmmaker. <clears throat> Great. Well, as I had hoped, we've championed well over 30 different things that can be our our recommendations for people that we've discovered this year. Hopefully people will discover these films if they haven't already seen them. Does anyone want to throw out any honorable mentions before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll just mention a couple. Uh, I'll go Alice from 1988, which is a Czech filmmaker, and I'm going to absolutely butcher his name. Jan Savanchi? It is essentially a remake of Alice in Wonderland, but kind of with stop motion. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not, stop motion is probably the wrong word to use because it's mainly like detritus of like an empty schoolroom almost kind of Mm -hmm. thing, like desks and rulers and and dolls. And it's very, very good. Like it's just this beautiful, surreal, constructed kind of piece. Yeah. I'll also mention American Movie from 1999, which is just delightful. Oh, yeah. The documentary? Yeah, mm-hmm. the documentary. Nice. I did an episode on it with Matt. And Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, which is a really good movie until the ending <laughs> when that last fight oh. just blows you away and you're like, holy shit, just what just happened? So those are my three also rounds. Perfect. Ryan, what do you got? Also of that same kind of wonderful, beautiful kind of movies, I'm talking Attack of the Beast Creatures from 1985 which is a bunch of people that get stranded on an island filled with these killer puppets that attack them. It is real good. Agfa just put out a uh, disc of it, and it is a delight. Speaking of Agfa, they also put out another movie called Shallowin Invincibles. Absolutely great Wuxia film from, I think it's a Taiwanese film. And it's got wizards with super long tongues and monkey ninjas. It is a wild movie, I would say. Not quite as bonkers, but somewhat on the level of like Thrilling Bloody Sword a little bit. Not oh, wow. sort of, not like of that sort of fantasy or fairy tale aspect. It's about these two young girls. And then Carter Wong, who's also in Big Trouble in Little China, he's also in it. And they've been taught the ways of the sword. And anyway, it's a wild movie and it's a blast. So I would say those two and... So I'll also say this, because this was another movie that I absolutely adored. I showed Friends adored. At the Zoo, too. Yes! 
I had not seen this. I had a lot of people tell me about it. I watched it with my uh, Thursday night movie group and just was like, this is amazing. If you like genre films, this is a movie for you because it has every genre in it. It is all the genres in one movie. And um, it also has Sondal Bergman from <laughs> Program to Kill. One thing I love about that movie, because there's a ton, but just one of my favorite things is when she goes into the cave and there's warriors just in crates like they're just in there wait, waiting all day for like <laughs> someone's gonna come by and then I'm gonna step out of this crate. It's like, okay, I love this. It's got so many crazy things and mm -hmm. uh, then ends of like, no, we're not in love. It's not a love. <laughs> it's definitely not a love story. Nope, this isn't a thing. This you'd think this is a thing. It's not. And also, who knew a movie called She is also about dudes? Yeah, mostly about dudes. <laughs> <laughs> which is so not right but tickles me all the time but it's yep. like why why do we care about these guys it's about her yeah. the movie's called she <laughs> these two assholes keep taking up all the airtime but it's she is just so good it's so good one that one of those again much like steel justice one of those that i'd seen in the video store forever but i just never saw and it was like finally catching up with it and was like oh my god this is this is fantastic yeah that is that is a comfort watch for me for sure. Oh yeah. So I was obviously going to include Two Witches because I mentioned it as it was a great discovery this year, but mainly I just can't wait to see what this director keeps doing. I know that there is a sequel coming out. I'm very excited about that. Also Car Cemetery got bumped off my list because I realized that that director had done all those films. This is a really great queer punk retelling of the Passion of Christ or whatever, but it's like just super punk very queer, very awesome. If you like Jubilee by Derek Jarman, this is kind of in the same vein. And then you mentioned Mutant War, which I thoroughly enjoy, but I also really love Battle for the Lost Planet and Mutant War. I don't know if you have these two, Ryan, as well, but... Hmm. I don't know if I do. I really recommend them if you enjoy Mutant they're, Hunt. They're, are they both from Vinegar Syndrome? Uh, they are, yeah, Vinegar Syndrome. I don't know when they came out, so I don't know if it was something that you received, but both films are on this disc, and it's just that really awesome, low-budget, super creative, with the special effects, science fiction type of thing, where there's like, you know, where they like took a picture of the castle and like kind of just stuck it in the background of the frame, and just things where you, you see all the scenes of everything that they're doing, but there's just something so endearing that these people like had to go ahead and finish this awesome film that they wanted to make even though it's like so little there's even like stop motion there's like claymation type these creatures and it's just i don't know it's very 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 fun i love those movies they feel like back when i was a kid in my dad's video store just like grabbing something off the shelf and just watching everything and not being critical mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. there's a lot of the stuff that i watch where people are like that's not a good movie i didn't care when i was a kid and i think that sure. i still continue to watch movies in a way where it's like I'm not looking for faults. I'm not trying to be like constantly one star. Like I'm just, that's not who I am. And if people listen to this, you probably get that. But like, I really just appreciate all these different stories and things. And if something doesn't strike me, I just don't talk about it. So <laughs> I'd save yeah. all, all the airtime for stuff I love. And as a result, I got to talk to you both about 30 different movies that we all love. And I get all excited about it. I get excited that you're excited. And I'm writing stuff down and I have more stuff to watch. So it's just like, I love it so much. Yeah. I, I mean, not everyone's going to look at Alien Private Eye and say, that's a great movie. Sure. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. That? 
but I do. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I could totally hear someone say well, all the reasons why they don't think it's any good. And I would agree with a lot of those things. Just doesn't mean it wasn't a delight to watch. Absolutely. I yeah, had a room yeah. full of guys and we were all having a blast watching it. So I get it. But, you know, there's a fine line between <laughs> brilliant and stupid, right? There really is. That's all I can say. The Train or Alien Private Eye. Those are my top two. So that's me. <laughs> I love it. Well, Lindsay and Lindsay, where can people find you? Both returning for this and for all of your time and thought you put into this as well. Well, Shockin' All is on all podcast um, apps, I think. Is that how you say it? But you can follow me on Shockin' All 1 on Twitter and Instagram and also Reading Geek on Twitter, where I talk about movies way too much and probably should take a break from, but I don't. (laughs) And you're on the Letterboxd as well, yes? As well, yeah. Reading Geek on Letterboxd as well. Fantastic. Ryan, same question, but for yourself. For our podcast, I do have my own private Twitter account, but I don't use it half as much as I do at the I, New World I tag Pod. you and stuff all the time, and I'm oh, always I like, I should just leave it New World. No, I, I can't. I, I can't get it. it. It's all in the same app, so I mean, right, I can flip right. around. It's not a problem. And I keep going. I should go to my personal one and use it more, but like, I definitely have more inroads on the New World uh, stuff. But you can uh, find everything about us, including our episodes, at NewWorldPicturesPodcast.com. That's our website, and you can find all the stuff about us, all the different episodes that we have, and certainly we're on all the different platforms that you can listen to podcasts on and i don't need to whatever one you like whatever one's your favorite we're probably there but you can also listen to them on our website if you're so interested and you can find us also on instagram and and you can find all those links at our website and merch yes we have t-shirts that's right we have more in the works but we've got one from the warlock episode that Lindsay was on that's right i need to pick that up because it has like the best line that erica came up with like, the devil don't I, make it easy. The devil does not make it easy at all. <laughs> <laughs> no Slimo shirts though, right? Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll get that. Okay. We'll okay. okay. I mean, I think that I think when the world's ready, and I think that they're not <laughs> quite ready, but they should be. <laughs> you only find like one image of Slimo on the internet. I'm like, okay, well, they're not ready yet. I guess. No, <laughs> but... it's it's amazing when people know Slimo though. I think somebody tweeted oh, yeah. and responded with Slimo and I was like, that person knows who Slimo is. That, That's that amazing. Person, that person's childhood was rocked by this movie. Right. That and Carnival Magic. Yep. Ryan, wait till you get one person getting so excited that someone else is talking about Teen Vamp. <laughs> mm-hmm. That will be a personal victory. You bet. And I can only thank you guys and thank everybody who's listened to that episode because people apparently trust us because i was like this is going to be listened to by maybe five people nobody knows this thing at all but people have listened to it and we're we're very grateful it's amazing you know i listen to every episode of both your podcasts so it doesn't speak to the quality of that particular episode because i'm in for all of it so i can't really say i'm, I'm gonna click so you know oh well thank you Derek. yeah you're yeah. welcome I hope you all enjoyed these 30 discoveries. If you see any of them, reach out and let us know. If you dislike them, let Ryan know. Uh, As always, I'm Dirk Marshall, and this has been VHS.